40 here there's a shooting in highland park in chicago which is like 15 miles outside of the bad part of town highland park is also about 30 percent jewish and the shooter is apparently a young white male aged 18 to 20 so let's see what fox news because has to that say that might be a telltale before you identify who he is that weapon may be a registered weapon you might find out if it was stolen or if it belongs to somebody it might be this person or somebody he knows that he took it from so that's crucial as well with the ballistics that they have on the scene we cannot stress enough that it is still very early joe you pointed out this is a complicated scene what we're hearing now is from police and from witnesses and what we hear early on changes gradually through the weeks days months following these types of incidents but from what you're seeing what you know right now how many injured there are how many people are killed six and the location that we know of or we think we know of of this shooter what kind of familiarity does this person need to have with a weapon like this to kill this many people this person may have training may not have training it could be somebody that just went to a range learned how to shoot the weapon maybe played video games all right and it's just you know simulating that as well but he took it to the to the you know to the streets now and it's real uh we don't know what his uh background is we don't know you know he's young if they're saying he's about 18 years old maybe he does not have military background so i, I don't know how much training somebody that young could have all right, but if so he's they're still looking for the shooter. The 20s, he he's could have at had large. The you know, for the training, you just don't know. Some of these uh, individuals just go out there and they just mimic so uh, things that they see on TV Jewish and they go and try to do it out in the range and then bring it out onto the street. So we, we don't know. It's all speculation. You can come up with a million scenarios for this individual right now. The main thing right now is to identify who he is, all right, and where he's going and, you know, where he has so been at as least well. six dead. Because it, this is far from over hospitals. as far as, uh, you know, an active, it's still an active scene, and it's still active until they until they uh, apprehend him. Because, you, like I said, you don't know what this individual is capable of right now. Chuck so Carnelli, a retired New York Island Police Park, Department lieutenant, thanks very Jewish. much for joining us this afternoon, talking with us about the tragedy in uh, Highland Park, Illinois. Six people shot and killed, according to police, along with 24 injured in a shooting at a 4th of July parade in the downtown of that city. Police say they are going door to door looking for people here. And Alicia, uh, a 4th of July celebration disrupted the video that we have been seeing, the accounts that we have been hearing about all this, an absolute tragedy just north of Chicago. Oh, absolutely, Rich. And the fact that authorities say that this is still an active situation, that they cannot find this suspect is absolutely chilling. I want to put up one more time the suspect description that police say is still at large. This is a white male between the ages of 18 to 20 years old. He has longer black hair and small build, wearing a white or blue T-shirt. Um, that was the latest from authorities emphasizing we do not know if this person is still armed. We are awaiting, again, more information from authorities on the ground because they say they will be giving us an update. More after this. If you have Graves' disease, your eye symptoms could... 
right, so a lot of video about what happened already hitting on Twitter. So once again, this is about a 30% uh, Jewish neighborhood. So let's uh, have a look here at some of the some of the video. Guys, citizen journalists are on the scene. Okay, let's play this video. People in the truck are thinking it's everyone's just running past them. So a good heuristic when everyone's running, probably a good idea to to run with them. There was um, the Navy that was saluting the flag with uh, rifles, but then when I saw people running, um, I picked up my son and. Um, I started running. I ran to a niche in the one of the buildings, uh, the local shops there, and I tried to break the I tried to break the glass to get in with my son, and I couldn't break it. And when uh, the shot stopped again, is when we started. We decided we had to run, so we started shooting again, and we ran behind the building. And I put my my son in a dumpster, and um, he sit there with his dog. And uh, I went back to look for the rest of my family. I left him with someone there so that I can go back to get my phone and find the rest of my family because uh, they ran away also. And um, it was just horrible. Uh, I went back. There was a few people shot on the ground. And there was a little boy that was in somebody's, one of the police officers' arms. And that's, uh, that was the worst experience ever because, you know, all I thought about was with my son. And I can only imagine what that family's going through. About 24 hospitalized. So let's have a look. More video here. I've already played that. Okay, I'll keep looking for a video. There's a, a fantasy among the alt right of being a normie. So it's like we want to go back to 1950s normiedom, where everyone had a wife and the wife obeyed and, every, and I, yeah, everyone had a good job. They have this kind of secret fantasy of not being an on, online constantly and combating the left and showing your outrage, the latest, you know, 
drag queen story hour grooming controversy or something. They, they want to go back to that point. But they and don't so, really. They don't really, though. That's I, the I agree. And they wouldn't know what to them. do with themselves. It is the nature of them to enjoy the, the conflict, to enjoy the being being outrageous, to enjoy upsetting yeah. normies. To uh, and it, it's very likely that a lot of them who were back in the fifties would be left wing. Yeah, and, and, they and want to enjoy the nightmare as well. All right. So, e girls. Um, it's. I would say that it's a it's a very contemporary phenomenon, but it's not um, something that's totally new in a way. Was not Phyllis Schlafly kind of the original e girl on some level? Do you know who Phyllis Schlafly is? No. The eagle form. She um, she opposed. Um, e- yeah, let's get more here from Fox News. Dead 24 others hurt after a mass shooting at an Independence Day celebration in Illinois. This is a live look at the scene. Welcome back to our continuing coverage on Fox News Live. I'm Rich Edson. And I'm Alicia Acuna. It happened at a parade in the Chicago suburb of Highland Park. The suspected shooter remains at large, and we're getting a look at the moment people at the parade realized there was a shooting going on. Senior correspondent Mike Tobin is live in Chicago with the latest. Hi, Mike. Hi there, Alicia. The situation in Highland Park is uh, holding steady since we last got the uh, update from uh, the authorities there in Highland Park. But it could change in an instant because uh, they are looking for the suspect who is considered armed and dangerous. You have multiple law enforcement agencies uh, on the scene in Highland Park as the town is locked down. You have sheriffs from uh, sheriff's deputies from Lake County. You have Chicago police. You have Highland Park police. You've got the FBI. You've got state police who are all there looking for the shooter, described now as a white male between 18 and 20 uh, somewhat of a slight build with uh, long black hair. We do have information from the authorities that he indeed uh, went to an elevated position, much like a sniper, fired down on the crowd. Confirmation from uh, Highland Park, uh, the police commander, uh, that uh, six people are dead, two dozen are injured seriously and hospitalized. The town is locked down. People are advised to shelter in place uh, simply because there's a threat out on the street. Uh, The police did recover a rifle at the scene uh, without offering any further details of what that rifle is. They recovered a rifle. But, of course, that doesn't mean that the uh, suspect wouldn't have another weapon on, uh, on him. So he is considered armed and dangerous as police, as police are searching for him right now. Uh, and one of the things you can bet, there are a number of retail stores in the area uh, where, uh, where this uh, happened. So as good a chance as any, this suspect would be captured on, uh, on some sort of surveillance video. So one of the things you know that the uh, police are, are going to go from store to store uh, in that area, in the uh, downtown of Highland Park, uh, a wealthy, quiet suburb uh, looking for surveillance video. That's going to be part of their investigation. They also do have some they have the weapon, so they can start tracing back the weapon, find out uh, who purchased it, and uh, they can also trace the bullet. Back to you. 
Mike Tobin uh, in Chicago, thank you so much. And we're joined now by Steve Rogers, former member of the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. Thank you so much for being here. Um, from everything that you're hearing, what does your expertise tell you about this suspect? Well, when the individual is uh, said to have gone into a sniper position, uh, he somehow either had some training or, as was said earlier, uh, a lot of these uh, younger people look at these video games and, believe it or not, they get these ideas on how to do something like this. Now, I think what's going to be critically important to police, and, and they're doing a tremendous uh, amount of work in trying to hunt this individual down, but usually a lot of the breaks come from people who saw something, heard something, and said nothing until an accident or an incident like this occurs. So my guess is that someone may come forward and said, look, I, I heard something or saw something on the Internet uh, last week. It's something you might want to check out. In addition to the video surveillance tapes that are now being uh, examined, I'm sure, by law enforcement. Steve, how far back are they going here to look at this? I'd imagine that there's perhaps some scouting involved. He went ahead of time to the area to see what it looked like to get access to that roof. If this is, in fact, uh, the fact set that does end up holding, how far back are they looking in that area, accessing security cameras and trying to find out maybe when this person was there? Well, they'll look uh, back, I'm sure, as far as 30 days or, or maybe more. I mean, I've heard where sometimes police will look as far back as uh, a few months in the event they did not get a lead. But they'll start from now. They'll set up a timeline, okay? The timeline for looking back begins at the time of the incident, and they'll start going back and back and back. And finally, uh, uh, between now and as far as they go back, they'll get some sort of lead. But like I said, in most cases, we may get a break where somebody's going to come forward and say, you know what, I heard this fellow say something, saw something on the Internet, it may be worth your while looking into. Steve, what does the location tell you um, about what the goal here was? Chicago is a city that had a lot of celebrations scheduled for tonight. Some have been canceled, some will continue. This is a but Jewish some neighborhood. of the celebrations arguably would have been a lot more packed with people. This is a part of the North Shore. It's a northern suburb of Chicago, a wealthy area with a lower crime rate. Um, in all likelihood, there wasn't a large police presence that you would maybe find at one of these other celebrations in the city. Does that indicate anything to you about what happened here? It sure does. It indicates to me that the suspect knew the area, uh, perhaps even lived not far from the area. Uh, and uh, the objective where uh, actually the area I was say the location itself was probably the target, the intended target to spread terror there. So I think we might find out that that uh, individual suspect is known maybe by some people in the area, but obviously knew the area and maybe didn't have to do much reconnaissance. Uh, but that's yet uh, to be seen. But that's what sticks out uh, right now in my mind. We do have uh, an update now from the, the governor of Illinois. No more facts that we're learning from law enforcement, but saying that he's asking all Illinoisans to pray for families who've been devastated by this. There are no words for the kind of monster who lies in waits and fires into a crowd like this. But br grief will not bring victims back. Prayers alone will not put a stop to the terror of rampant gun violence 
in our country. This is from Governor J.B. Pritzker. Just wanted to update you there. Um, you know, as we look now towards this investigation and, and how thorough uh, they're going to try to, to search this community and find out who this person is and where this person might be, how much planning do you think really goes into the aftermath of a shooting from somebody who does a shooting like this? It seems as though the person uh, knew the parade route, knew where to go, knew where to go and how to access that route. Um, but do they expect in this situation to, to get away like this, to still be on the run in the hours following a shooting? Well, uh, I was in D.C. when we had the D.C. snipers during their shootings, and of course that went on for quite a while. Uh, uh, in this case, the individual, uh, obviously, I mean, leaving the weapon and then running, it, it seems to me that they had a method of entry, as they did, a method of execution, as they did, and a method of escape, which tells me that they're probably held up somewhere. Now, the question remains to be answered, was there someone else involved? Is there someone who corroborated with him? Okay. Hey, uh, Steve Rogers, we have to uh, jump right now to a presser. Thanks, Steve. Okay, you're welcome. Impact the safety of those on the scene actively looking for this individual uh, or impact the safety of anybody else. So please keep that in mind. Information might change, okay? Uh, I'm going to turn it over to the commander. He's going to go over and talk about the initial scene response, uh, what that sounded like, what that looked like. Greetings, Commander. Chris O'Neill, Highland Park, please. Last name O-N-E-I-L-L. This morning at 10.14 a.m., Highland Park Police and Fire Department units were on scene for the 4th of July parade that started at City Hall at St. John's by the train station, that, which ran to Central Avenue and then west to Sunset Park. Uh, around 10.14 p.m., we heard uh, loud reports, which we perceived as gunfire. Highland Park Police parade units immediately ran to the plaza area, the source, to locate and identify the source of the, no the noise and the gunshots and gunfire. We uh, immediately identified that where people were down, that we had numerous people injured and shot. We communicated that information with our police dispatch, coordinated a medical response with the fire department, and began setting up a inner and outer perimeter, and also requested additional outside station area here at the fire station on Central Avenue. And we continued to uh, obtain information or gather information to try to coordinate who was doing the shooting and where that person was last seen. Firearm evidence was located on a rooftop of a nearby business that was secured. Uh, suspect description that we had at the time was broadcasted on the police radio and shared with the uh, responding and non-scene units. Highland Park Police and fire personnel began transporting injured parties to the Highland Park Police Department and additional resources helped us at the scene. Uh, we had an on-scene police commander, which was myself, our patrol supervisor handled city-wide command for any other incidents, and then we had a commander assigned here at the fire station for the command post. Most importantly, as far as the investigative aspect goes of this, and this is two-pronged at this time. Number one, uh, we are aggressively looking for the individual who is responsible uh, for the shooting. Number two, we have the criminal investigation that is occurring simultaneously. We're asking anybody with any video surveillance that they may have, please review your cell phones if you were snapping pictures in the area of 2nd and Central today. That could help investigators. They may see something in there that may be useful and allow them to proceed further with the investigation. 
any business owners in that area, we're asking please review your video surveillance. Uh, if you have any video surveillance of that area at that time, even if you don't see anything in there, we would love to be able to take a look at that so we can further our investigation. Again, the FBI is working in conjunction with us. Uh, we have well over 100 law enforcement officers out here on the scene doing the investigation on one side and doing the apprehension efforts on the other. Uh, so this is very active. It's going to remain very active uh, for the time to come. I'll try to answer some questions that I can, but again, please understand we can't give away certain aspects of the investigation. We don't want to negatively impact. We want to arrest the offender and hold him accountable for his actions. Was the building sealed where the rifle was recovered and the witness statements? I'm not, I'm not sure of that right now. Are there any threats online or social media? None, none that I am aware of. Uh, certainly investigators are coming through social media to see if there's any clues or any information that they can uncover through social media that might help them with the investigation. So as of now, we have approximately two dozen victims that were transported to area hospitals. There's a number of hospitals. Some hospitals did require going on bypass due to receiving uh, traumatic victims and such a high number of them. Uh, so hospitals throughout the region, both Lake and Cook County, received patients from this, and their conditions range, some critical, some serious. Was there any point when officers had sight of the suspect or made any contact with the suspect? My understanding as of now is they ran for the yes, gunfire, however, guy, the suspect the ceased firing right around that 20. point when they got close. White guy, a lot of black hair. Is this a building where he's able to discreetly or, or hide himself during the shooting, or was he just on top of a roof and, and plain sight? All, all indications is he was discreet and he was very difficult to see. Any information on the agents of the victim? Some witnesses thought he might have stopped that's something we're looking at. You know, certainly evidence technicians uh, are going to collect the, the rounds that were discharged from the firearm. Uh, another thing to remember, this is this is what is being considered as a very massive scene. It's very large. Uh, you have where the shooting took place at 2nd and Central, but as people fled from the area, uh, there's evidence and other things that, that may have gotten caught on their shoes, kicked around. So it's a very large scene. Uh, we're very fortunate to have the support of the FBI. Uh, but we're not going to leave any stones uh, unturned. We're going to look at every angle of this uh, throughout the investigation and try to figure it out. As far as ages of the victims, the Lake County coroner will hopefully be here for our 3 o'clock press briefing and will be able to provide some information. Um, what I know as of now, uh, several of the deceased victims uh, unfortunately perished at the scene, uh, and it sounds like one of them was transported to an area hospital uh, where they perished. Again, this is preliminary information changes, especially when there's close to 30 people transported to various hospitals. What I'll say right now is it, it was a high-powered rifle. I, I can't go into details just yet. We, we will release that information as soon as we can. We're, we walk a fine line with any criminal investigation where we don't want to provide too much external information that can negatively impact what our detectives are doing. Do you know if the targets were, the, the people targeted were marching in the parade or spectators or specific groups? Yeah, it's a very sad situation where it sounds like spectators were, were targeted and, and even those that were marching through. The parade was approximately three-quarters of the way through uh, when the shooting occurred. So. Uh, very random, very intentional, uh, and a, a very sad day. Can you tell us anything more about the effort? We are working really hard to try to pinpoint where they could be. It's, it's 
I don't want to give bad information. It, it could be in the city. It could be somewhere else. But we're looking into it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very large conglomerate of law enforcement that's working together hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, the Lake County Major Crime Task Force and the FBI are leading the criminal investigation into this, along with Highland Park Police. They are very involved. Highland Park Police led the uh, initial incident response and incident command uh, when this was all uh, rapidly unfolding. As far as the search for the individual, we have uh, enlisted the help of several federal partners. We have the state police. We have NIFAS. Uh, we have other SWAT teams that are on the scene here and all working together to further that aspect as well. We're working as hard as we can. I mean, and, and we, we want to make sure that uh, the information we're receiving and, and putting out is accurate uh, and that when the individual is apprehended, it's the correct individual. They're making, they're working. They're working hard. I might be able to provide that a little later. You can hear I, I the gunshots. Right let's do a couple more questions. Sure. My name is Christopher Covelli, C-O-V-E-L-L-I, and I'm the spokesman for the Lake County Major Crime Task Force. You said earlier that it was up to individual communities to decide whether it was safe for them to hold uh, gatherings today. Is that because so many police uh, resources are here, or just because it could be... Well, I think there's there's a couple, reasons, a couple ways communities are going to look at it. Number one, you have a... <laughs> tragic mass act of violence that was random here today at a community event where people were gathered to celebrate uh, and the offender still has not been apprehended thus far so you know could this happen again we don't know what his intentions are at this point so certainly uh, we're not sure of that and on the other hand I, I think there's a lot of communities that uh, are not looking forward to celebrating after something like this happens right in their backyard as of right now, the information I have is there are six deceased. Six. And Do you have any reports of people in the crowd helping those who were injured? There, there were, and I'm sure they will come forward in the days to come, but there were a number of heroic actions by members of the community, by police, by first responders that rushed in and immediately tended to the victims, tried to get them help. Um, more to come on that later. Right now, our focus is on the investigation and, and catching this guy. There was a so, report of a right. child uh, separated from his or her parent, or his parents, I believe. Any updates there in terms of a family reunification? So, there, Highland Park Police has established a family and friends reunification post, and that's at the Highland Park Police Department. So, anybody that's looking for somebody or anybody that uh, got lost or separated during the event, they can go there. Uh, the reunification is happening there. Again, folks. Some some people, business owners, employees of businesses, have waited in their buildings for police escort. Right now, the SWAT team is escorting people out of those buildings, getting them to safety, uh, and being there for them so they feel comfortable as they're they're leaving the facility. But three o'clock, we'll be back. Thank you, folks. That's the Highland Park Police Department with its latest update, promising to come back in about 45 minutes or so. What we did here, and again, the police are stressing that this is preliminary information and information does change in these types of events. 10:14 uh, this morning, they say they immediately heard gunshots. Numerous people, according to police, were down. They set up an inner or outer perimeter. The police say that there was a high-powered rifle used, but are not saying yet any more specifics about that weapon, uh, that it was about 
three quarters of the way through this parade that this shooting starting and that the shooter targeted both spectators and those marching in the parade that the shooter appeared to be discreet difficult to see he stopped shooting according to police when officers began to approach him they are looking at social media and are not currently aware of any indications of who this person uh, might be uh, and there are about a hundred law enforcement officers who are working this and they are asking for people in the community those who have taken photos and videos throughout this parade to send those to police to make sure that they can review them and see if they get any hint of who this person is as they remain at large. We are going to bring back in Steve Rogers, former member of the FBI. Steve, thanks again for joining us. I just want to get your reaction to what you just heard right there. It was a good pressure. They gave out enough information to let the pub public know that they are critically important uh, to this investigation. If they know anything, saw anything, uh, heard anything, uh, contact the police. In addition to that, they did this without compromising the investigation. My guess is that we'll set up grids, what we call grids. There'll be teams of law enforcement personnel assigned to certain areas uh, of the crime scene, and, and it'll be a big, huge perimeter. Uh, each individual cop will be given a task to collect video videos, collect notes, take notes, interview everyone you can. They're doing a good job. It was a good pressure. And Steve, a uh, quick question here on the, just the chaotic nature of what happened. These are always chaotic. That, that police officers and members of the fire department were just trying to get victims transported to the police department. They weren't even, I mean, this was much long, longer before ambulances were even able to show up. It was just people coming in and trying to help um, each other. Uh, but, but also, I also wanted, I had a question regarding the social media. Investigators say they, they don't know who this person is, but they're combing for social media. What is it that they're looking for? Well, there may be some uh, individuals who were in a chat room and were chatting with an individual who gave them an indication that uh, he may commit such a crime. Uh, so they're going to be looking for chats, not only on a lot of these social media networks, but also uh, on telephones. Uh, this individual may have a, a cell phone. They may be able to get an idea from someone who had a conversation with them. So social media is important, but it's usually uh, the, they're looking for what we call um, fingerprints, all right? They're electronic fingerprints. They're, they're like what the social media companies do. They'll see a phrase, they'll see a word, and it'll throw a red flag up. So they'll be working closely, I'm sure, with some of these social media companies uh, and uh, in addition to what the public could provide them. Steve Rogers, thank you so much. We will return to our conversation with you as news develops. More of our breaking news coverage of the deadly shooting at the 4th of July parade in Illinois when we come back. Okay, we'll keep an eye on social media. If you guys can monitor the chance for me, we'll see what uh, 4chan Paul is Even saying. Even kind of first wave feminism to a degree. Um, this was in the, um, in the 70s and 80s. She's still around, I believe. I don't think she's died. Um, and she was actually educated at Harvard, but she, so she kind of had some elite cred, but she was promoting a kind of back to house wiffery uh, concept and um, was very important in the religious right, in the, uh, basically the post realignment, post segregation conservative movement. Was she young? Um, no, she was middle-aged at the time. Oh, they kind of got to be, I guess, the, the typical e-girl is relatively young. Well, I think the contemporary one is definitely young. It's, it's mutated into something else. But I would say that that notion of 
the the woman who is um, like acts as an icon or figurehead against feminism is actually not new. There's a long history of it. No, but, that's that's true. Yeah, there is. Yeah, but it's it's also that there's a, there's a way in which these kind of women cross over with with uh, with feminism as well. I mean, I was thinking about it. I, I got thinking right. about this because uh, the the no, women are weaker than men. Whatever they are evolved, therefore to conform. A man who is cast out of the band might be able to just about survive um, and uh, until he can find another band or something like that. A woman who is cast, she's going to die. Mm -hmm. So um, women are much more conform socially conformist than men and they want social harmony. And that is why you get these extremes whereby exactly the same women who would have been the Karens of Nazi Germany mm. would, have, would have been the Karens in East Germany of communism. And there would have right. been no problem with that because they are very, very high in social conformity. They will out. They are high in, in uh, um, social anxiety, and so therefore they do not want to be different. They do not. They do. Well, they do want. To be, they want to stand out as the most conformist of them all, and that's where a lot of them get off. At. That's what a lot of them do. So, in a very right. far right-wing society, of course, you get the church lady that Jim Goad has talked about, uh, and in in our society, you get the new church lady. And so, it, it interested me to think. Well, what is it? What makes them stop? What is it about them? What are what are, what kind of people are these? Um, and also, they do always seem to kind of burn out. Mm. And I was interested in thinking about. I, I, this was actually inspired partly by thinking about this by the fact that I was going to interview on my channel quite a prominent e girl, mm -hmm. and then I won't name her. But then, right at the last minute, she declared, "Oh, I don't want to be involved in politics anymore, and I don't want to anything. I don't do any interviews. I don't, I'm, I'm giving it all up." Just name her. No, we should name and that, and that was and that was the, and that was the, not the first time something like that's happened. A, a, a person who was very instrumental in helping me launch my own channel had herself mm -hmm. been a problem e girl who had hasn't changed her views or anything, but had dropped out, dropped out mm -hmm. of it. And I was thinking that the, the well, the psychology we can look at, but I think the big thing, and I actually found some research to on Israel. This, uh, there's a very big Jewish children. population in the North Shore mm -hmm. suburbs, both, both and Israel's Ministry had... of Foreign Affairs has now reached out to the authorities there and confirmed that some of the victims uh, who were shot. Okay, let's uh, area, get back we're to asking, Fox. Please review your video surveillance. Uh, if you have any video surveillance of that area at that time, even if you don't see anything in there, we would love to be able to take a look at that so we can further our investigation. That is just a small part of a police briefing that happened just about 10 minutes ago in Highland Park, Illinois, about a shooting there this morning where six are dead, 24 taken to the hospital. Mike Tobin is live in Chicago. He's reporting into these details now. Mike. And uh, the latest details that we got from the authorities in uh, Highland Park there, or uh, Lake County, as it came from Chris Cavelli, who's with the uh, Lake County Major Crimes Task Force, uh, is that uh, in that search for the shooter, they had an inner and outer perimeter established uh, rather rapidly uh, after uh, 1014 when the uh, shots first rang out uh, at, a, at, at the uh, Christmas, or at the uh, Fourth of July parade here in Highland Park. Um, we know now it was a high-powered rifle, again through Chris Cavelli, that was recovered uh, at the scene on the rooftop uh, that was fired. Uh, we have confirmation now through the police that the suspect uh, uh, did indeed uh, fire from a rooftop, much like a sniper, and said the fact that he was uh, discreet and hard to be seen uh, from the street level. Uh, more indications that possibly this individual uh, had at least studied up uh, and planned uh, uh, this, this attack before he executed it. Uh, six are now dead. At 
least 24 injured uh, in the course of this uh, uh, massacre at the 4th of July celebration uh, in this uh, uh, northern Chicago suburb. And I can tell you now that the impact is reaching all the way to Israel. Uh, there's a very big Jewish population in the North Shore suburbs, and yeah, Israel's Ministry of Foreign 30. Affairs has now reached out to the authorities there and confirmed that some of the victims uh, who were shot uh, at this 4th of July parade uh, were uh, Jewish and uh, connected to the nation of Israel. So you've got the active, uh, uh, inv uh, active search for the shooter uh, that is ongoing, which is making this a very dynamic situation. It could change really at any moment. And you've got the uh, town of Highland Park on lockdown. The uh, people there are advised to shelter in place uh, as they're looking for a man, even though he dropped off a weapon. Police are still considering him armed and dangerous. And you have a massive uh, police presence uh, with uh, law enforcement officers from multiple agencies uh, descending on this little suburb uh, north of Chicago. Guys, back to you. And Mike Tobin, we're going to head back out to Highland Park for an update from authorities. And we will also, I will be speaking on behalf of the Lake County Major Crime Task Force. My name is Chris Covelli, C-O-V-E-L-L-I. And we'll start with uh, Commander O'Neill. Hello, my name is uh, Commander Chris O'Neill. First and foremost, we're all grieving for the families and friends who lost loved ones today, those injured and everyone impacted by this horrific, senseless, random act of violence. Okay, that is uh, Chris Covelli, and that actually ended up being just um, something that we've already seen here, Alicia, uh, as we continue this. Um, you know, just to recap what we've heard from police, and that's something that we've, uh, that we've gotten a briefing Okay, if they give any new information, we'll cut back to live Recently coverage. Recently become mothers, <clears throat> and this had inspired them to completely um, drop out and declare they wanted nothing more whatsoever to do with uh, uh, politics, far-right politics or whatever. So I think part of it could be hormones, it could be postnatal depression. In one of them, I'm fairly sure it was postnatal depression, um, uh, and general sort of postnatal anxiety. Uh, that, that causes them to react in this way, uh, mm. where they they become prominent, and it's really interesting that the. If... Okay, let's uh, go back here to some live coverage. Sold and uh, and start that investigation. How long does that process usually take? That can go fairly quickly, depending on the how the records are kept by the store. If the store's still open, unfortunately, the um, gun owner gun stores. Are, um, are not required to keep those records computerized, and they don't turn those records over to the ATF in a computerized way. So this is very much a paper chase, but that can go very quickly when you have a lot of law enforcement resources chasing it down in a case like this. But it also can be stymied when the, the gun store owner hasn't kept their records properly or has allowed them to be destroyed. And Phil, this is Alicia Cunha here, and, and Peter Ducey also reporting that the official from the ATF um, who he spoke to in Chicago said that now begins the process of tracking the life of the gun. What does that process look like? They're going to, once they have this gun and they have the manufacturer and the serial number on it, they're able to go from, from the actual inception, from the manufacturing of this gun, assuming that it's not a ghost gun. And we're seeing more of these kind of unserialized, um, not factory generated weapons showing up. So assuming that this was factory generated, 
Then it went to a distributor and it went to a gun store and then potentially to this individual or to an individual that is in between. That could involve a straw purchaser, somebody who bought this gun on behalf of this person, or maybe this gun was reported lost or stolen. So that whole life story will fill in some of it from records from the gun dealer, but then from individual sales and other investigating um, uh, information that those, those ATF and local folks supporting ATF are going to be able to glean. Phil, police say that this is a high-powered rifle. They've not released any further details on this yet. They say that they will. Um, and you talked about ghost guns that don't have serial numbers. But what if it does have a serial number and they trace it back to a gun store and who may have purchased it at first? But it, people can sell guns. And, and what is the, the legal burden placed on those looking to sell firearms like this? Um, do they have to keep records? And, and how long does it take to sort of figure out what the chain of possession is here. Yeah, in a case like a very high profile case that's had tragic consequences like this, the resources dedicated to it will accelerate the, the investigative return on this. Um, but you're right, it varies state to state and it varies with uh, dealer to dealer what their responsibilities are and what the state of their records are. Um, let's assume that everything's proper and they're able to obtain those records very quickly. This is an important law enforcement lead that may tell us who the actual gun owner was, uh, who hold that gun last, and give some information on who we're looking for. They may have actually been a transaction where somebody sold the gun. They could track that down to the last individual sale, and then that could be a jump-off point to gleaning who this individual might be that actually perpetrated this event. But this is a very, the, 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 the notion of a high-powered rifle is a story we hear again and again. Somebody between 18 and 20 with uh, access to a dangerous weapon like this is the story that plays out again and again in these mass casualty events, these mass shooting events that take place in our country. And, Phil, authorities have been pretty good about coming to the cameras with every update that they have, and the picture is becoming much clearer. We see, we saw the chaos initially with those videos that were coming in from some of the people who were attending the parade. But from what we understand now, this parade was about three-quarters of the way through. At 10.14 a.m., the police commander says they heard the shots being fired and that they sounded like they were coming from the plaza area, that the, the target may have been the plaza area. I'm guessing that would be a larger, larger area for people to gather, that this would be a higher number of casualties for the perpetrator if, they, if that's what they were going for. We know, according to authorities, that they were going for spectators, that they were also going for participants here, right? So this picture is becoming much clearer over who they were dealing with. We also know now that this person was probably in a sniper position up on a roof. So that also goes into play here, right, for authorities as they're figuring out exactly who they're dealing with. You know, I wouldn't want to make too many assumptions here. What we do know, and I'm very familiar with this particular village and this location within the village, it is the heart center. There's a very popular breakfast place. There's a very popular retail area. 
and this would be the ideal place for viewing a parade. So a very popular place and crowded place. So whoever was planning this attack, um, getting on a rooftop and having that vantage point um, was very deliberate. Now, in terms of a sniper-like position, um, we don't know that. We don't know yet that they were targeting a specific person or that they were even taking aim. It could be that to secret their own position and protect their own kind of providing some cover and concealment to themselves, that they, they really just hung the barrel over the edge and took a very limited profile position to protect their themselves and their identity as they did this. Based on some of the injuries and there being a lot, uh, sadly, six people killed, but a lot of other injuries, it doesn't seem like much care or time was taken in actually placing those shots. So we're seeing kind of somebody taking advantage of an opportunity where there's a crowd with some plan to cause mayhem around this parade. But a few of these other details we just don't know yet, and they're going to they're gonna become clear as they identify this perpetrator and, in, I expect, in short order, have them in custody. Phil Andrew, former FBI agent Phil, thanks very much for joining us. More of our breaking coverage of this deadly shooting at a July 4th parade in Illinois. Your mo it's a movement, the, the alt-right or whatever you want to call it, that is massively male. Uh, yeah. We know that the um, it, it's if to the extent to the extent that it attracts a uh, pathology, it's psychopathic types. That is much more highly highly male, uh, even when compared to narcissism or Machiavellianism. It's highly highly male. Um, uh, um, it is uh, tough mindedness. This is all male. It's it's, it's, it's highly highly attractive, and see a general um, male kind of worldview. So so you 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 create if you're good looking. And and uh, and you're able, and a female, and you're able to get involved in this. You will get to prominence very quickly, uh, oh, yeah. and and then you'll have your pick of the bunch, and and the 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 best of the bunch as well. So in that sense, it's quite an interesting strategy. And I would think that it would be a trait. You've got to know you're pretty because they've got to know they're pretty to be girls. They know they they must know it. So that, that, right. that's going to that's going to be predicted by relatively low agreeableness that's associated with high self esteem, uh, sort of moderately elevated psychopathology for a woman. Uh, and this makes and this makes you uh, attracted to danger and attracted to that that sort of thing as well, which is the, the alt right. Uh, but then of course then they they have their basic strategy pays off. They have babies. And then they become really, really anxious and and just stop. And that seems to be. I, what, what are your observations on these girls? I know you. Well, I I have a couple of observations. It's it's funny. I I was actually listening to um, the Handmaid's Tale on audiobook. I I had never read it, and um, I I would say I think it's a good book. I don't think it's a great novel at all. And. Um, but it, it has a lot of it has some interesting kind of insights into character. But I, I think it's not as terribly interesting as kind of a political book or a, or a science fiction novel or something, which is in a way what it's about. You know, the Handmaid's Tale, the Handmaid's Tale.
Yeah, keep an eye on the breaking news. It's a kind news, of vision the of the religious right triumphant so and a host of insights into character. But I, I think it's not as terribly interesting as kind of a political book or a, or a science fiction novel or something, which is in a way what it's about. You know The Handmaid's Tale, The Handmaid's Tale, right? It's, it's become a kind of icon of the left at the moment. They'll dress up like these women in red gowns and have these wings. It's, it's a kind of vision of the religious right triumphant in a post-apocalyptic time and things like that. Um, but it, it does have some interesting insights. So there's this character named Serena Joy. And so the, the handmaid of Fred or Offred is the handmaid for this woman named Serena Joy. And she's a kind of Tammy Faye Baker type. And so she is pretty or was at some time, and she was a great singer. So she would go on these televangelist programs and, you know, sing gospel, you know, music and all that kind of stuff. And then she ends up kind of winning in the way. So there's, there's some, there's this, you know, fr massive fertility crisis and the revolutions and all this kind of stuff. And her, her, her side wins. They are at least in the, the locale where the novel takes place. They are dominant. They have banned all sorts of things. Women are property, effectively, and you know the, these the commanders are these you know former religious right or alt right types, you could say, who are now in charge. It's kind of a right wing fantasy as much as it is a kind of female <laughs> nightmare, or maybe a secret female fantasy. Yes. I would suggest that. But anyway, um, uh. But there's, there was an interesting passage where she talks about this woman who used to be a star. So she would go on and claim, you know, we need to get back to the Bible and we need to be at one with God and go back to being a homemaker, stop all. But she gave herself that exception. So it's kind of like, I'm much like Phyllis Schlafly, I'm the exception to this rule. And I almost need to take this exceptional, outrageous stance of being a massively popular and influential public figure and a combative public figure at that in order to bring back the old way of things. But the way that she's depicted in the novel, and I think kind of psychologically correctly, is in some ways there's a great deal of disappointment in it, in the sense of I can no, now I'm, now that we've won, my life is gray and boring. And I'm, it's, it's almost like I've lost that, that, star power that I once had when I was combative. And I think that is a, a kind of... Okay, let's uh, check in with what uh, Fox News is talking about Hours here. and minutes that we're facing right now with the suspect on the loose. Well, actually, that, that life of that weapon is going to be very important. First of all, if it doesn't, if it doesn't ring back to a, a current owner that maybe matches so the, the description, so the shooter is apparently white. Fingers on and get in touch with that 20. person. Uh, then it's going to be reaching back to see other people who may have uh, had possession of that weapon and who they may have known uh, over the whole period of time, uh, who may have had access to it. So it is more of a complicated process. I'd probably say though that with uh, with this particular weapon, understanding you know the, the last person who owned it, and if it is not the shooter, then how that person may have had access to it would be very important. Whether that weapon was stolen, etc. Now, it is important. Kind of what what, uh, what was just said is that uh, the, the command and control in a case like this is very important because you have multi agencies who are involved in providing various levels of support. Uh, whether it's ATF providing information about the weapon, whether it may be about the FBI providing. Uh, additional boots on the ground, perhaps some forensics uh, 
87% white crime scene, neighborhood. Uh, and also gathering information to be reported by, by civilians who came across either some video or observations that they want to report. So that command and control is very important. And I think the last news conference, it was, it was noted that uh, the local police department uh, is the lead agency at this particular point because it doesn't indicate uh, what we're hearing thus far, that there were any federal violations so far. Uh, and therefore, they need to make sure that, that that information flows fluidly from various agencies, ATF, FBI, state police, perhaps county police, on up through local police to be able to kind of aggregate it and make sure that they're all on the same sheet of music and they're all looking for very the same individual. So you talked about the intake of SWAT officers escorting people to safety, some who were locked down in the stores along Green Bay Road for hours, unable to leave until they were given the all clear. And, and again, we've been talking to witnesses who described just a really horrific scene in that immediate aftermath with so many people injured. And like you say, the, the search for for that gunman really is continuing. They did, as you mentioned, recover a high-powered weapon from the rooftop where they believe the shooting took place. The ATF is now trying to track down that weapon, hoping, hoping that that gives them more information about who their gunman is. And while it is very clear that a search continues in this area, it is not really clear whether they believe the gunman to still be here because even though the area is pretty devoid of any people other than law enforcement and media at the moment since the residents of Highland Park have essentially been asked to take shelter. In and let's uh, get back here to Fox. A couple of different sources and that will provide some level of kind of like a, a focus or legitimacy to the information. So there is kind of this triage process that police need to go through, at least in these early stages, to kind of filter down and get that information that is relevant to them. And in this case, it is finding out getting more information about the individual, a picture perhaps, um, as there was a description of the individual, wearing a T-shirt, long black hair, slight build, maybe 18 to 20 years of age. Uh, but having a picture of someone can also be extremely helpful because other people who may not be in the area who may be related to this individual or have known this person from school or for some other uh, from other you know, occasions where there's some across element to can women. Because there, there's a, a fantasy among the alt-right consumers of this stuff of being a normie. So it's like we want to go back to 1950s normiedom where everyone had a wife and the wife obeyed and, and everyone had a good job. And, you know, it's a they, they have this kind of secret fantasy of not being an on, online constantly and combating the left and, you know, showing your outrage, to the latest, you know, drag queen story hour grooming controversy or something. They, they want to go back to that point. But they and don't so, really. They don't really, though. That's the thing. I, I they agree. Don't. <laughs> It, it is, it is, and they it wouldn't the know what to them. do with themselves. It is the nature of them to enjoy the the conflict, to enjoy the being being outrageous, to enjoy upsetting yeah. normies. To uh, and it, it's very likely that a lot of them, if we were back in the fifties, would be left wing. Yeah, and, and, they and want we, to enjoy the nightmare as well. Like, have you noticed how important? not only popular, but important to their lives. And this is uh, among mainstream conservatives, something like libs of TikTok is. So libs of TikTok will, you know, comb TikTok and find 
some usually female who's involved in education, maybe even tangentially, but who's just clearly mentally ill and kind of nuts in a casual sense. And they'll they'll show a picture of this person talking like, you know, we need to teach anal sex to children who are five or, you know, just some weird comment like that or some you know, extremely personal confession or just something that can be, that's just kind of weird. And these conservatives, especially the dissident right or the alt-right, but, but mainstream conservatives do it increasing degree, just it's, it's their kind of porn. Like they need it. They love, like this, this is the most important thing happening right now is I want to see more of it. Like I need to, I need, you know, they, they get off on it. They love it. They, they love the nightmare. Right. And exactly. enjoy and your nightmare. It, so if you look at, if you look at these, uh, these, these, these types of women, I was thinking, what are the kinds of women that are going to do this, particularly in a right wing, in a left wing context where, where you, it's, it can get you in trouble and whatever and so on. Uh, so first of all, I was just thinking people that are just highly genetically prone to being uh, basically religious and right wing. And there's a mm -hmm. significant genetic component to that, such that it's so strong that it overwhelms everything else. It overwhelms the social anxiety. It overwhelms the, the being excluded by other girls. It, over, it overwhelms all this stuff. So um, and those people are, are probably going to be quite religious as well, quite strongly mm. uh, religious in a traditional sense. And I found some research which indicates that um, uh, the, the, the key thing for joining the all right or the far right or whatever among men is they want comradeship and, and things like that. Whereas the women, they see it as a family um, and they see it that the main thing for them is that they are joining something that is going to protect their family, their future family. So their concern is about their future, not yet existent children. Um, and they want to help create a society. That, that's their their motive. Uh, whereas the men will, who join talk much more about the future of the fatherland, the future of the race, that right. sort of thing. So what they focus on is, is just so there's, there's those people. Then there's the people, I suppose, that you'd say sort of borderline personality. Um, they 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 don't know who they are, whatever, and they they want a, it gives them a strong sense of identity and firmly who they are, and it tells you who exactly who you are. And those people, and I know an ex example of this, I won't, I won't name her, but they will flip between. So I know she was very very left wing, yeah, and then and then and then she very, and then she's very very right wing, and she's a she's a right wing e girl. And well, Amy Therese is she's had a remark. She's gone from like being a Marxist to being a Reagan. Right. And that's it. That's what it is. If you have personality disorder, you have this constant sense of self-doubt. And you right. lay that sense of self-doubt by telling yourself, but you don't really feel it, but telling yeah. yourself that, oh, this is the way and this is the truth and and and, and so on, and, and this is what I am. But unfortunately, at some point it all breaks down if something dramatic happens in your life, such as having a baby, perhaps. Uh, <clears throat> or just anything else, it, it breaks down. So that, that's the, that's the borderline personality type, and I suppose there could be nuances within that. I mean, you can get people that have elements of that. So they, yeah. they might they might not move necessarily from being far left to being far right, but they might move from being I don't know um, uh, far right to being oh I'm trad Catholic. I'm tra right. and, and trad Catholic is like the just about socially acceptable way of being on the extreme right. Right. Um, and, and so then you've got, and then I guess you've got these, these girls are going to, some of them are going to be high in psychopathic traits or autistic traits and therefore just outliers, just, just outlier, uh, females, um, that get themselves, if they're reasonably good looking into this situation where there's, there's no, there's no competition. Um, and, right. but, but, but then they, this will say that they, they, 
they're not made for this though. That's the thing. They're not made for the fight. So that's the thing that gets to them eventually. Yeah. Be, for a man, they're made to cope with the fighting and the slings and arrows and whatever. But with women, they're kind of not. Yeah. Um, they're made to be looked after. And that's why I think they kind of run out of steam. I think that, that I think there's a lot of truth to that. I I think in terms of joining the alt right, I think there there are a lot of uh, boys, let's say, who want who like the camaraderie. camaraderie. And so you see, like, the, the, the example, one example of, like, the, what's really popular on the outrageous far right is the Quinter type. Those seem to be guys who want a kind of, like, electronic or virtual version of, of winning. So they, they are largely kind of incels, extremely online, loser types. But then they, they kind of, like put all of their eggs in a basket or their chips on a table with Buentes and it's like, oh, we're winning, we're back. Uh, everything's going, you know, you are me, you're a representation of me, but you're in the mainstream and you're... Okay, let's see what uh, Fox News has to say. Center at Evanston Hospital, about half an hour away. So emergency vehicles are getting many of these 24 to 30 people or so. Okay, they still haven't got the shooter, so we'll keep an Part eye on the Trumpism, news. And so we're all winning and victory and so on. And I think a lot of people joined like Identity Europa or uh, Patriot Front now. I mean, they had a rally yesterday. I don't know if you saw that, but it, it's a kind of, it, it's like, it, if Seinfeld was a show about nothing, the Patriot Front is a kind of movement about nothing. It's, it's about, they go and they march and they say, in in some ways innocuous statements <laughs> like we will reclaim this country <laughs> or something like this something that just doesn't you don't know what they mean it can kind of mean anything in a way and but the whole point about it is to be kind of regimented and, mar and, and marching so it's a kind of like simulation of being a nazi or of being a part of some kind of established order or being um, in, being a, a military uh, soldier for people who never did that or couldn't do that. Um, so I, I think it, it offers that kind of like enjoyment factor, uh, but it's ultimately entirely fake. Um, but I think that's true. But in terms of the e-girl, I just think narcissism explains so much about it. And as you said, there's it, it, like... In some ways, for being on the far right, there's kind of, in a way, like no barrier to entry, and there's no credentials needed, and you don't really even need to offer anything <laughs> in, in the sense of, like, a girl, like, shoe on head or whatever. You know, like, she has a far right fan base, to the degree to which I understand it, but what is she saying like what she makes she makes fun of joe biden or something or says something that's kind of like makes fun of a feminist at one i mean what is she offering other than than like entertainment to her loser fan base so there's no barrier of entry there's no demands on your intellect really you can just you can just quote tweet joe biden and say cringe and that's it. You've done it. Right. Like that's and if, the and if, you're, and if you're and if you're reasonably pretty, then you attract right. you, you attract beta orbiters. Uh, very, and you may through that get quite a nice man 
who's right. Uh, Maybe. And one of the members of research indicated that what they they seem to like these far right women are men who are sort of socially dominant and. Uh, uh, there was a term in the literature I found. What was it now? I was reading a, a, a PhD thesis about it earlier. But they're basically men, men, men that are sort of highly socially dominant. That's what they're after. Right. Uh, and uh, so because they're that kind of, they're, I guess, in some ways, that's where it crosses over with feminism. The kind of women who are feminists are quite masculinized females. And that's why they have these rape fantasies. That's why there is a weak correlation between being a feminist and having rape fantasies, because basically they are attracted to highly dominant men. And there's no more proof that a man is dominant than he can dominate you. Right. Um, and so that's why they, I think they have these kinds of fantasies. They're putting up a barrier to themselves. I mean, I, I agree with, I, I think we're actually totally on the same <coughs> page on this. And feminism is in a way a return to nature. In the sense yeah. that you're putting up a, a actually a large barrier to entry, you're basically saying like, "No, you don't own own me. No, you you beta cocks. No, you don't you don't get me. You don't, I don't owe you anything. Um, I I'm in control of my own fertility. I'm in control of my life. You know, like and and not not to say that there aren't many extreme feminists who end up childless and alone and they're kind of unhappy. Of of course that's true, but on some level, it, it feminism really is a very natural way of doing things for women. It, it in, is an, in an environment where the men aren't going involved. to invest, in an environment where the men are going to just pump and dump, which is what they're evolved, they're basically coming. That's I mean, that, that, those kinds of ecologies, the, the level of sexual dimorphism is low. Yeah. Um, and 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 in some extreme, uh, in some animals, the the female is actually bigger than the male. Right. Um, and and there's, there's there's no expectation of investment. There's nothing like that. So, yeah, then if, if that's the case, then you want a dominant male. That's all you want. And, and you fight him off till the very last. So, right. in a sense, it's all about Andrew Dawkins was right. All sex is rape. I thought your comment on narcissism was quite was quite interesting, though, because, yeah, it's true that if you go around advocating everything should be trad and wholesome and women should do what men say and all this kind of thing, then there's an obvious contradiction to you being a female and having a position of basically soft power. Um, yeah, and, and being and so, sexy. I mean, let's let's name names here. I'm sorry, I name well, names. Oh wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The point okay. is that go ahead. Then. It's go not, ahead. I was going to say it's, it's narcissists that do that. It's narcissists that give right. themselves an exception, that give themselves a free pass, that say oh, everybody else should be trial, but not me. Right. So, so that that that's a good point. What? Well, well, you name names, but we we know there's one of you girl that you've um you've um, um a bit. Um, what are you implying at Faith um, Goldie? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look, sh uh, look, let's also be honest about Faith Goldie and a lot of these. And I'd say Lauren Southern is very similar. Um, so they are attractive. Faith, Faith Goldie certainly has like a sexy quality to her. Um, I think Lauren Southern kind of goes more for the wholesome, but it's it's both about being attractive. And so Faith they would jump on the energy and then kind of put themselves surf the wave and kind of put themselves as the figurehead. So there's no question that Faith Goldie was like effectively making herself the figurehead of the alt-right to some degree. And Faith Goldie sought me out in many ways to, to talk to me and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it was, yeah, good times. Um, but she, she, like again it's this this kind of like my own personal exception and this contradiction of like being this sexy e-girl having like the big lips and the pouts and 
and the like, and then being part of a movement that at least ostensibly is about wholesomeness. And like, let's just go, we had it right. 1955. There was it. Let's just freeze that in, you know, or, or catch it in Amber and just continue that indefinitely. Like happy housewife, homemaker guy goes off to his corporate job and works at the same place for 30 years and gets a gold watch and retires. And they all have four kids. That's like, it's perfect wholesomeness in a bottle. Let's get it. But in order to promote that, you've got to be sexy. I mean, it's it's just and and not only that, but not only you've got to be sexy, but you've got to you've got to have the uh, the self confidence and the sort of mannishness almost uh, to push to push yourself to the fore like that and to lead people, including men. Yeah. So so it's it is a it is a contradiction, and it's the kind of contradiction that you can only get through if you if I think if you think that you're a bit special. Uh, and and therefore right. the rules don't apply to you. And I suspect these people, these women, do think they're a bit special. A because they're going to be constantly told they're brilliant by all their beta orbiters and fans. Yeah. Um, and uh, and B possibly because they are. I mean, they, they it's the, 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 what they have achieved is telling them that that, that it's this this uh, niche which they've got into. It's a, it's a it, uh, it, that's that's another thing as well. Um, it's like I was thinking. It, it's um, you if you could if you compare. It's kind of a small pond in which you can become a big fish. Right. So if you're if you're if you're uh, a woman and you're good looking and you're young and uh, you get involved in the alt right, then you can get up to be quite a degree of significance quite quickly and quite easily compared to if that same woman tries to be mainstream, right, and tries to be uh, tries to get somewhere in the liberal world, for example, where there's loads of competition. So it's right. a way of it's a way of it's like being the the prime minister of a small nation rather than the the leader of a big nation. You know? I mean, so let, let's say like the Lauren Southern, and I'm, I'm sorry, look, these people are public figures. They put themselves out there. So when you're a public figure, you get criticized. Sorry, girls, but like, that's how it goes. I mean, I've been attacked. I, I get it. I don't like complain about being attacked, whatever. Lauren Southern is pretty dispensable as a Fox News babe. In other words, there are women who are just as good looking and maybe better looking than she is who do conservative stuff. And I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not trying to throw under the bus or something. It's just simply a fact. If she had gone the mainstream route, she would be in competition with women who might be more articulate than her, might have better legs, might have blonder hair. You get it. But you go and you become this like, crypto or quasi or pseudo alt-right and you are it you are much more attractive than any other woman trying to be a figurehead because there aren't very many and you you are it if there's no barrier to entry and you're right on top um you know ditto with faith but i mean let's let's look at faith gold i mean she was the most aggressive um the most mannish so she was fascinated by the alt-right. She goes to Charlottesville. Um, she, you know, like, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I don't, maybe I'll cut this out because it's not live. But I mean, like, it was just like hopping into the sack with this girl. Um, she just, it's, it, it was really incredible and strange and, not something that usually happens. Um, that's just my personal experience. Um, she was there taking video in downtown Charlottesville when 
downtown Charlottesville's mayhem. She got a video of the car attack or accident um, and, and was sending it off to her people uh, to sell it to the mainstream media. She was putting herself into danger. Later that night, she's hanging out with the Daily Stormer types and going to these things and kind of destroying her career um, by putting herself in that milieu, openly talking with them and being kind of sexy around people. I mean, in a very weird way, to be honest, because those daily stormer types are, are pretty gross. And um, it, it's just bizarre. Um, I, I don't know. What to, but very but she, uh, shows she, a great deal of aggression. Yeah, so she, they're outliers. That's the point. And, it, it, yeah. and it's, you, it's like a pathology, attractive, all right, we know that. And they're going to be outliers, extreme outliers by female standards. And those kinds of people, um, those kinds of traits uh, do correlate with aspects of mental instability. So that could be uh, that, that could be there as well. Uh, yeah. And um, she, but what's it? Lauren Southern did a little breakdown. She she was a problem for a long time, and then she did this little. I'm, I'm taking this, and I think that was it. She was overwhelmed. It yeah. got too much. She's only young. It got too yeah. much, and she couldn't cope. And then she did a little little sabbatical of, of probably she was depressed or something. Um, and then and then she comes back. Now she's 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 come back into things. And the same with this uh, with this Faith Goldie. I mean, she's just. She dropped off Twitter a while ago, and I don't know what she does now. And I wonder if she well, she just... ran for mayor of Toronto. I mean, she was very she was really throwing herself out there. I mean, she ran for mayor of Toronto, and that didn't do well. She also, I mean, I, I'll I'll say this: I I don't really care on some level, but I did find it very interesting that she did this when she was running for mayor of Toronto. First off, she kind of like squared the circle and was saying that like. Well, I care about white people because all lives matter, and I also care about black people. So she was kind of squaring the circle in a pretty implausible way. She, at one point, tweeted out that Richard Spencer ruined everything or something. Um, so it was this kind of throw Richard Spencer under the bus, kind of scapegoat. Spencer was a, uh, one of the main forms of entertainment for the dissident right, at least my impression. Um, and she never threw, to, at least to my knowledge, she never threw Andrew Anglin under the bus. So her little liaison with me was something that I obviously kept private. Um, she said she wanted to interview me, and we met up, and within about 15 minutes, it was, a, I guess, a little more than an interview. Um, but that there was nothing of that ever went public because I don't do that. Um, it was all a private thing. And then she goes and she publicly associates herself with a neo-Nazi. And, and of course, I get called a neo-Nazi. So do you, of course. But there's a difference between like actually being a neo-Nazi and, you know, the, the Anglin weave, wh whoever is like she did that. She she took a kind of risk or maybe she was being utterly reckless or just simply being stupid. But she does that, but she doesn't ever condemn those people because at the end of the day, that that's the fan base. You know, you can scapegoat Richard Spencer and say that I ruined everything or what, whatever the hell that means, but you're not going to really attack the fan base of like 
incel troll lunatics because those are the people that give you love. You know, those are the people that like your tweets and retweet you and say you're sexy and post memes about you. Yeah, and, it's interesting. So I wonder, I wonder, there's this research that I've cited a number of times, Moss and O'Connor, where they they argue that uh, far-left narcissism, uh, uh, Machiavellianism, far-right psychopathology. It would be interesting, I, I might contact them about it, if that could be broken down by sex and if there were sex differences and if, if, if there was data, that would be interesting. I bet there mm-hmm. is. Because what we've got, what what I've managed to, to glean just today, um, looking into it, is there's there's certain subtle differences uh, in far right women compared to far right men, um, in comparison yeah. to others of their own sex. I mean, of course they're different from each other, but in you know, as, as, with with their own sex as the as as the uh, as the control group, there are, there yeah. are certain differences, and I would be interesting if there were differences in that. I bet there are, and I I I would I, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna email them. I'll email them now. So uh, yeah, you can get data, but like. You know, I don't know. Sometimes analyzing the personality of the most prominent figure is almost more insightful. Well, know? perhaps like, it's because it's it's that analysis which caused me to have that idea of getting the data, the data. But, yeah. but I think so. I so I think it, it, what what it means though is that these people are uh, for people that are interested in politics or interested in any, they're not reliable. Um, they're, they're not predictable. Uh, right. uh, uh, they they will they will uh, and they will generally in the end crash and burn and and, and just sort of drop out into obscurity. Uh, and, and also, the, it's it's kind of like it's the effect comes before the the cause or something. And you know, look, people can say what they want about me that I'm a narcissist or attention whore. Fine, you know. But I think you know, Ed, and I certainly know this about you, but. I am motivated by ideas in the sense that I want to develop ideas and I want to develop analysis and understanding of things. That really is my motivation. And I have thrown away any opportunity to, for the effect of being a e-celebrity, an e-boy as it were, by basically sticking to my guns, marching to the beat of my own drummer and like going after Trump, all the stuff that I do that pisses them off. I'm willing to do that. Maybe you could say I'm just, it's it's still egotistical, but I'm willing to tread my own path. Um, With Lauren Southern or Faith Goldie, not that either of those are, uh, those two figures are unintelligent or, or, or so on, but it, it, I get the sense that it's always about riding the wave. Like even when they became trad Catholics or whatever, that was because they saw that happening on Twitter. It's a, it's a kind of like the effect as opposed to a cause. And they're going to go into Christian nationalism. So that's all the rage. They went on the Yang Gang train for a while. They, they, everything is just jumping on a series of waves about the effect that it can have. And they're not actually motivated by anything. So it is a kind of pure narcissism or kind of postmodern celebrity where there's no there there. There there is only a kind of simulation of what it would be like if we lived in a trad society or something. But ultimately, people like them would be repressed if they lived in a trad society. There there would be no people like them in the trad society. That's the This shooting occurred about six hours ago. And they still don't have the shooter, which is unusual. Well, maybe, maybe it's certain institutions of ill- 
And this Highland Park neighborhood is about 90% white, about 30% Jewish, and about 1% black. They'll repute, uh, at least, and <laughs> they would have a, a function. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's see who we've got here. Uh, Colin Liddell, how are you, sir? Yeah, hi, hi, Luke. Uh, what I really love is um, you know jumping on a live stream um, at five o'clock in the morning. But yeah, sure. Yeah, it gets the blood flowing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Anyway, what are you talking about now? Uh, there's been a, another mass shooting, uh, young white man, apparently responsible in, in a Jewish neighborhood in Chicago. So what, what do you think is, is the capacity of, of places like Borchan Paul to, to, you know, radicalize young men and, and lead them down a bad path? Uh, isn't this just an incel phenomenon when you really boil it down? These are all young guys who um, are unattached, who don't have much prospect of, you know, finding a significant other uh, or even getting laid, you know. And so this is the uh, probably the inevitable result of that. But still, uh, statistically, is it that significant? Is there that much of it for a country like America? No. Shouldn't there actually be? Shouldn't there actually be a lot more? No, no. Statistically, it's it's not significant. I mean, there are there are five hundred times other other ways of uh, of being um, uh, murdered uh, rather than than some alt right dude radicalized on 4chan. It's just that that one gets far more attention. I, I remember last week there were like fifty six migrants who boiled to death in a truck and it got very little attention compared to the the 20 or so people who were shot up in Uvalde so i guess it both depends on who's who's dead and and who who killed them uh, if it's if it's a mass shooter if it's a, if it's a white guy then it gets 20 times more news coverage than if it's some um, coyote smugglers uh, yeah, yeah. The news has always been very selective in that way, hasn't it? I mean, yeah, this is um, something that happens all the time. There's there's news which gets completely ignored, and there's news that doesn't, and there's non-news that kind of um, you know fills the airways. And during uh, much of the the uh, Trump presidency, there was uh, one nothing burger after another, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. All the all the the fake uh, the fake hate crimes. Uh... Tell me, you've started a new website, uh, Neocrat. What's what's going on there? Well, I've been kind of lumbered with uh, the alt right for uh, rather too long, and you know, the alt right was at the time when the when the alt right got started, um, it it wasn't really right wing, but unfortunately, the name was alt right, which you know was um, a bit of a handicap, really, because I think the alt right wanted to. Um, the original alt right, uh, the 2010 alt right, wanted to look at things in a much more um, kind of uh, radical and um, transcendent way. Uh, but uh, eventually, it got kind of subsumed into this kind of tribal left right uh, nonsense that uh, dominates so much of the uh, political and metapolitical and philosophical and moral universe. And I've always been kind of pushing um, against that. And uh, even when I was 
part of the so-called alt-right. A lot of my work was uh, trying to um, escape from that um, kind of crude framing. And so, you know, the uh, the site, the neocrat is the um, the culmination of that. I want to um, have content that looks at uh, things in a kind of deep and radical way, but without the um, uh, res uh, heavily restrictive framing of this kind of left-right uh, tribal um, kind of um, uh, hive-minded um, moronic way of thinking. Mm. And what do you think about the conservative war on the Disney Corporation? Yeah, this is a reference to uh, a little bit of news about Ben Shapiro. And uh, I think it's, uh, his outfit are trying to um, sort of branch branch out uh, from commentary into entertainment and uh, pro provide more wholesome family entertainment because, uh, you know, I think the Disney Corporation has been drifting leftwards for a considerable period. And uh, by drifting leftwards, they've probably left a bit of a, uh, a potential gap in the market. And uh, um, maybe some sort of organization um, can then step in and provide the kind of uh, family-friendly Christian conservative content that a lot of Americans actually want rather than this uh, more um, woke a globalist version of um, Disney that uh, now seems to dominate. So it could be a good business move, but it would have to be done with, uh, you know, skill and, um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of right decisions would have to be made. So that's not necessarily going to happen. And uh, what do you think of Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis? He's being talked up as, as a favorite, particularly if Trump doesn't run to win the Republican nomination in 2024? Um, yeah, I've seen DeSantis and, you know, he just strikes me as a very boring uh, kind of managerial type. Um, slightly creepy, actually. Um, a bit fake. Um, a kind of probably quite a, um, a clever, slick politician. Uh, but I don't. There's there's just no resonance there. I don't really like the guy. He might he might be a good guy. He might you know do good things, but um, you know compared to Trump, he seems rather boring. Um, you know maybe he'll be able to do things that maybe he'll be able to do Trumpism more efficiently than Trump. But. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think uh, he's a self-serving type. So the news media wouldn't allow Richard Spencer to go on Bumble without writing an article uh, about him. But uh, it's interesting how eager Richard Spencer is to, on the one hand, tell the mainstream media is no longer a white nationalist, but in his own own spaces, he'll say, "I'm just, I just care about Aryans." So maybe he's no longer a white nationalist; he's just an Aryan nationalist. Not really sure what's going on. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yeah, Richard Bashan. It's kind of easy to do, but um, <laughs> I, I, I try to avoid it because you know, um, I think Richard is an interesting character. You know, he's a bright guy. He's, you know, um. He's 
created a lot of interesting takes on various subjects. He usually says something that's um, at least witty um, and occasionally incisive. Um, but I think he's really, yeah, he's got his own curse to bear. And uh, he did get, uh, yeah, he did, he did get sucked into this, um, the, the Nazi tard phase of the alt-right quite heavily. And he's never going to really be allowed to escape that. And of course, it's had all sorts of negative um, consequences for him financially and socially and so on. And so I think uh, most of the things that Richard has done in the last few years do seem to re uh, resemble a kind of damage control and or a kind of muddying of the waters. He's trying to he's trying to um, make amends in, in a sense, but he's also trying to uh, you know obf obfuscate the um, his past. And uh, I think this is what's probably drawn him very strongly to something as absurd on the on the face of it as uh, Apollonianism, because this is this is what he identifies as mainly now is an Apollonian, as as you probably know. And Apollonianism is a kind of, um, I mean, I think probably for most people, uh, on first hearing, it's quite a goofy idea because it basically sounds like he's trying to revive uh, worship of the Greco-Roman god Apollo. And, you know, of course, if you speak to Richard about this, which probably he, he, he'll never do because you're in his bad books, uh, he'll probably tell you that uh, it's, it's an extension of his uh, kind of um, understanding of uh, Nietzsche's, uh, Nietzsche's philosophy. Yeah, it's interesting that Spencer's teamed up with, with Mark Brahman in that uh, whatever you think of Richard Spencer, he's very clear. Like, even if he's being muddled, he, he's very clear in his, I don't know, I, I never have a hard time understanding what Richard Spencer's saying. On the other hand, uh, Brahman just does not cohere for me. I, I mean, I, I can kind of get it that, like, he basically blames the Jews for, for almost all the ills of the, the modern world, but... Uh, uh, are you able to make heads and tails of uh, Mark Brahman? And do you have any theories on why Richard wants to be joined at the hip with him? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's the problem with, with Brahman. Brahman, if you uh, listen to little bits and pieces of him, uh, he does come across as a kind of um, not so obviously in the closet kind of Jew hater. Um, and you know, if people want to hate the Jews, I guess that's fine. You know, everybody's entitled to have their um, you know, the things they like and the things they don't like, and uh, to think what they they think about different um groups and people and things and so on. But uh, you know, Spencer, I mean, I think one of the, one of the reasons Spencer is attracted to Apollonianism is is because of its absurdity, and uh, you know, it's it you know um. He's he's always he's always going to be seen as a, a neo-Nazi white nationalist, and so he needs something that's even more kind of goofy and eye-catching than being a, a neo-Nazi white nationalist, and something like uh, you know Apollo worship uh, would possibly do that. People would would look at that and they say, okay, Richard Spencer 
Uh, he used to be a neo-Nazi, but now he's just a bit mad. You know, he's a bit of an eccentric. He's gone, he's gone off the deep end. And then they would probably or possibly, you know, think, let's leave this guy alone. You know, he's obviously gone cuckoo. And so that would be one of the um, one of the utilities of uh, going along with something like uh, Apollonianism. And of course, it, maybe it's partly inspired by uh, Richard's former friend, uh, Georgiani, who has his own kind of weird, wacky uh, neo-religion, Prometheanism. So I think uh, there's a lot of funny things going on there, but you've got to look at it from a kind of point of uh, point of view of the utilities it has for somebody like Richard. Um, and he is trying to live down his, um, his past. But of course, uh, Mark Brahmin, um, is anti-Jewish in any way, that's probably likely to um, increase over time, you know, because that's usually what happens when people are uh, against Jews on the down low. Uh, the, the longer they go on, the, the more apparent and obsessive that becomes. And on the other hand, Richard does a near weekly show with Edward Dutton, who's like the opposite of Mark Brahman. Uh, Ed Dutton's uh, very clear, doesn't display any animus towards Jews. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's that's probably a, a better direction uh, to go in. But then again, you know, Mark Brahman and um, Apollonianism, it's got that kind of, uh, wow, what the fuck kind of factor. So uh, I'm not sure that uh, Edward Dutton has that. Yeah. And uh, what's going on with uh, Jared Taylor these days? Have you been paying any attention? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did an article about Jared Taylor and um, he did a he did a, a video and basically if you if you look at the uh, the video uh, and you boil it down what he's saying is that um you know the the sharp rise in lgbtq transgenderism blah 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 whatever you want to call it amongst the younger generation is uh, mainly due to the fact that they're uh, scared of being called racist mm and so I thought that was a bit funny because, you know, um, Jared Taylor has been called racist uh, more, probably more than anybody uh, over the years. So, uh, you know, why isn't he gay yet? Now, let's, let's just, I don't think we've ever spoken about same-sex marriage. Uh, conservatives have not had an easy time articulating a, a rational basis to oppose same-sex marriage. Uh, liberals can can evoke universal principles of, of equality and they, they just seem to have a much harder time on the rhetorical playing field while while people right of center they they hail much more towards an uneasy feeling about the the toppling of traditional forms of identity and traditional forms of of organizing a family but uh, it, it does seem that the the, the liberal approach has has just overwhelmingly won the day, and in, in rhetorical battles, liberals have a much easier time making the case for why marriage equality is a good thing, while people on the right have a much harder time trying to make an argument why marriage equality is not a good thing. 
do you have any thoughts on this argument? Um, well, I think marriage, uh, sort of um, <clears throat> gay marriage, is a kind of um, it has elements of the right and the left, really. Uh, you know, first of all, there's the kind of equivalence between uh, gay people marrying and um, non-gay people marrying. And of course, that's uh, that sort of equivalence is uh, it sort of harmonizes with the basic uh, ideology of uh, Western liberal society, which is to treat everybody the same. But also it's a kind of conservative move, uh, marriage, because, you know, um, gay marriage is a kind of conservatism as well, because most homosexuals uh, back in the day, one of the things that um, um, one of the things that they enjoyed about being gay was the, the kind of freedom to basically, yeah, you know, do what they want and uh, not to be tied down in uh, rather conventional um, marital relationships. And so there is a conservative element to it as well. Um, but uh, most of the world and uh, the entire, almost the entirety of human history has been against it. And I guess, you know, in the long run, I don't think it's going to really subsist um, for very long. I don't think um, you know if you come if you come back to Earth a thousand years later, will there still be gay marriage? I kind of doubt that. Uh, let me take it up up a notch. Uh, people on the right feel like they're walking around with the with a left wing boot on the on their neck. That all the the major institutions and all, all the ways that uh, we're we're supposed to argue and discuss public issues in, in public are are dominated by the liberal left do you, do you think that's a a fair perception and do, do you notice is that is that a reality that you notice as well i think that's a very easy conclusion to come to especially in the you know uh, the anglosphere um countries um in britain and america um, especially australia too no doubt it does seem like um, a lot of this um, gay liberation, homosexual equality, uh, gay marriage, transgenderism is being pushed on us, uh, not just by the educational and the academic um, institutions, but also by a lot of the um, corporate institutions. Most of the major political parties are more or less going along with it so this is this is something that's almost uh, guaranteed to predispose people to uh, increasingly conspiratorial thinking and they're going to start thinking there's some evil conspiracy to destroy the family and to destroy uh, you know the white race and to bring down the west um but on the other hand there are also um there are also um kind of reasons why this would be happening why this is being pushed and uh, there is a kind of ideological consistency to this i mean the um uh, we, we we live in um well not me but uh, most uh, most people on the who are listening to this show no doubt uh, live in uh, liberal societies that have been um 
developing their ideology for uh, decades now and that ideology is basically equality and everybody's uh, more or less the same and everybody should have uh, the same kind of breaks and so on and uh, if you think about a gay person growing up in a, in a society which is quite conservative and quite conventional they are going to feel that they are being discriminated against and so there is a kind of grim logic to what the West is doing, whether you agree with it or, like me, don't agree with it. There is a kind of grim logic to that. Mm. What do you think of uh, Tucker Carlson? Have you paid him any mind? Um, every time I tune into the Luke Ford show, I'm confronted with this man. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know what to make of Tucker yet. You know, I think um, he says a lot of things that make sense. But then again, uh, there's something a bit off about him. I can't help thinking at times. Something that doesn't, that doesn't quite ring, ring true. And one of the things that um, sort of stands out about Tucker is he's actually quite against the... Uh, the war in in the ukraine he wants america to basically just like wash its hands and and uh, you know just let putin get up to what he wants to get up to uh, which is a kind of interesting viewpoint i mean whether you agree with it or not it's a kind of interesting viewpoint for a kind of mainstream american media corporation to take uh, you would think that um you know there is a kind of logic to america being involved and uh, trying to contain Putin, and in a in a way, America is kind of benefiting from Putin's aggression as well. And is there anything else about the war in Ukraine that has uh, kept your your attention over the past few weeks? As uh, Russia seems to be doing uh, to to be more effective in in the campaign than they were initially. When you say Russia, you always mean you mean Moscovy, don't you? Because I, 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 as far as I'm concerned, you know, like every everybody tries to see things in a very um, bipolar way. This seems to be a kind of uh, inherent characteristic of um, of uh, most people. They see things in a very very bipolar way. They don't have that kind of Zen mind that people like me have developed that can sort of transcend that. Uh, Kind of crude framing and on the russia question you're you're, you're either a kind of uh, you're supposed to be as kind of Z zelensky fanatic or uh, a kind of complete putin shill and you're one of one or the other and of course uh, if you're a, if you're if you're on the putin side you're all pro russia pro russia this and russia's great blah 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 and then if you're on the other side, you're um, this kind of puppet state, you're supporting this kind of puppet, this puppet Ukrainian state, which is, um, you know, a kind of the uh, vanguard of degeneracy and corruption, supposedly. And I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. And I, I think what, what uh, the, the, the way to see this conflict is as a, a kind of Russian civil war. I mean, I think Ukraine is, is is russian i think it is essentially part of russia um but the thing is russia is not a completely homogenous uh, one size fits all kind of country russia has a lot of variety within it 
there is a kind of multipolarity in, inherent in Russia. And of course, that's, that's natural because Russia is this huge country. It has, uh, it's, it's been a vast, huge country for a long time. And there are a lot, a lot of different um, poles within Russia. There's a, a lot of tension, for example, between Moscow and Leningrad. And uh, there's all sorts of things that uh, are influenced by that. And then, of course, you have another Russia, which is Belorussia. And you could actually quite comfortably divide Russia up into lots of little Russias. And Ukraine is one of those little Russias. And it wants to uh, go down a much more multipolar route of being Russian. And that's what this is really about. And of course, the, uh, the over-centralized Putinist state is a reaction to past history, so a reaction to, uh, you know, the uh, the early history of medieval Russia, where the country was uh, viciously attacked by, you know, very violent and oppressive forces from the east, and so that essentially created the czarist state, which was this very unipolar form of Russia. And then later on, you know, Russia got into all sorts of uh, tangles with various European nations like uh, Napoleonic France. And of course, later, you know, the, the Germans in the First World War and the Second World War. And so the idea of a heavily centralized, militarized Russia kind of made sense within that kind of historical framing. But for long periods of its time, Russia has not really been seriously threatened and right now i don't think russia is being seriously threatened i don't think um russia would ever be invaded by nato nato is strictly a um a, de a defensive alliance it's made up of uh, lots of cute cuddle cuddly nations like belgium and uh, norway and so on these are not the kind of countries that, that go around um yeah start in blitzkriegs and how has japan positioned itself i assume japan has just uh, stayed with its ally the united states vis-a-vis -vis the ukraine conflict or has it stood apart from the u.s hey yeah yeah i think that i think that japan does uh, lip service they do what uh, they think they should do um, to stay in with who they think they should stay in with. And so they will say, yeah, yeah, America, we agree with you about this. Yeah, naughty old Putin. But they won't um, really step up and do that much to help out the Ukraine. You know, they might make a few token gestures. That's more or less what they're doing. Um Likewise with the Chinese, you know, they, they like to keep in with the Chinese. Uh, they don't want to piss the Chinese off too much. And uh, they, they don't want to piss Putin off too much. And so they'll, if they, if they think the Americans really want them to do something, they'll try to maybe edge a little closer. But once the pressure's off, they'll just, uh, you know, let it slide. Hmm. And how how's inflation and and economic issues going going over in in Japan right now? Is the country in turmoil or is there a stiff upper lip and let's just get on with it attitude? Um, well, Japan is 
I think fiscally and uh, economically, Japan tends to be a bit more conservative. And so, like, um, when we had the, the COVID crisis, they didn't uh, spend a lot of money they didn't have, like uh, other countries did, which maybe they, maybe they had to do, I don't know. But uh, the Japanese were very reluctant for the government to come in and start, you know, bailing everybody out and doing things like that. So um they're more they, they they usually run a tighter monetary policy and so inflation is not too bad from what i can see and uh, how would you describe uh pill eater yeah pill eater yeah you know he's he's a character he's an interesting guy he's obviously quite smart um, sometimes I think he needs to have a bit more of a focus, but, uh, you know, he comes up with very, you know, good takes on certain things from time to time. So, yeah, I like Pill Eater. find his content at least uh, amusing and uh, often quite interesting. And you were shown to be right in another prediction that Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson would, would stay in power. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Bojo? Uh, <laughs> what well, you know um yeah so it's really easy to, to criticize a british prime minister you know they they um whoever the, the prime minister of britain is uh they're going to have a lot of um a, a lot of weak points because of uh this the, the system they have to exist within uh, but I, I don't think boris is really shat the bed yet i mean i don't think he's really fucked up in a major way uh he more or less got brexit done uh he's trying to take care of this kind of northern ireland protocol which is you know a kind of um a, a rather awkward leftover from uh, the brexit negotiations he's even trying to do something about illegal immigration uh, with this Rwanda scheme, which is, you know, being fought against tooth and nail by the uh, the left. And so I think he's gen genuinely trying to do things that the, uh, the voters more or less want him to do. There's also been a lot of legal immigration, apparently. So he hasn't really done much against that. But of course, uh, for somebody like Boris, his main concern is um the economy and uh the national health service those are probably his two um most um important priorities if the economy starts to suffer and if the national health service has um serious problems that's going to be uh politically very very toxic and so those are his main concerns so he knows that the, the British voters will blame him most for uh, a weak economy and for anything that goes wrong with the National Health Service. So that's what he's really focused on. And that really limits what he can do about something like uh, legal immigration, because even though most British people uh, in their hearts want less immigration, um, they probably would blame anybody who restricted immigration if that led to uh, the economy going downhill.
And are there any Japanese politicians we should be particularly aware of? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bother. Um, they'll be gone. They'll all be gone soon and replaced by equally bland clones. And uh, uh, Abe is is the name of a former prime minister who remains in the back of my head. Does he does he still wield significant power behind the scenes? Oh, I'm not. I don't know about that. Um, I presume he does. You know, because um, uh, I mean, most Japanese uh, politicians are like bad farts that don't go away. You know, they kind of linger in the background, and uh, <laughs> so I think Abe is definitely in that uh, in that category. And uh, Chris Roberts, who was Jared Taylor's assistant, 29, uh, suddenly died. I, I would assume a drug overdose, but I have no idea. Any any thoughts on the passing of Chris Roberts? Uh, yeah, he he wrote for my 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 former site, Affirmative Right. Um, under one of his many pen names, and um, I, I thought he was he was quite a good writer. Um, and I didn't, of course, I I didn't know he was Chris Roberts, and uh, we didn't know Chris Roberts was this guy called Rojas, and so this is a guy again. This is like one of the um the off the one of the patterns you often see with uh, the alt right and the distant right. He was a kind of uh, quasi-white this was a guy who had a a chilean father and so he was technically uh, you know half half hispanic at least and so this is somebody growing up in america who has a bit of a foreign background that's the kind of person that's probably going to have um exaggerated identity issues and a lot of the people in the uh, the alt-right kind of fit into that category so when i heard about that aspect of chris roberts i thought okay that kind of makes sense yeah um you know there's there's kind of three elements that say uh, that repeatedly crop up in the in the in the alt-right and uh, this kind of quasi or sub-whiteness is one of them of course, there's a kind of gay element as well. And a lot of the people attracted to the alt-right are quite short, I've noticed as well. So but that's, that's, uh, those, those are three things that I see again and again. And Chris Roberts, um, or whatever his real name is, I think it's Ro Rojas, uh, he, was, he was in at least one of those categories. I'm not sure if he was in the other two categories. But um, I believe in twenty, he had some sort of in, in, involvement with the um, the alt right when it was at its height, and then when it kind of blew up a bit in twenty seventeen, uh, you know, thanks to um, you know people like Spencer and uh, Unite the Right and all this stuff, and Heather hired um, dying of whatever cause she died of, and when it kind of blew up, it, um, he stepped. He seemed to step back a bit. And I believe in 2019, he headed out to Chile and he was going to become a Chilean at that point. And then after a few more months, he headed back to America and started to become uh, Jared Taylor's right-hand man. So 
if you, if you think about the kind of trajectory there, it seems a little bumpy, a little uneven, a little confused. It suggests that there might have been some kind of um, psychological turmoil uh, involved. And so that would lead you to suspect, in addition to drug addiction, uh, something like possibly suicide as well. But we don't really know at this point what was the cause of him dying. What do you think of the obsession in the alt-right with who glows? Like, who's a Fed? Who's a federal informant? Um, yeah, I think it's... Um, it's, it's understandable, really, because I think about, you know, half the people in the all right are probably <laughs> on some sort of government payroll, whether in, in Washington or Moscow. <laughs> and and I, I think it speaks to the widespread insecurity uh, on, on the all right, because I noticed the same thing in the pornography industry. So when I was writing on the pornography industry, it kind of existed in that netherworld between the legal and the illegal. And so there was great fear of government intervention to shut them down. And so there's widespread discussion of who or who is not likely to be a, a police informant or a law enforcement informant. So I think it, it speaks to the insecure, uh, suspicious, e even even paranoid uh, personality that, that tends to to dominate uh, dissident societies, whether it's the pornography industry or far-right politics. And I assume you'd, you'd find much of the same sort of paranoia on, on uh, the far left. Well, um, let's see. A lot of people on the alternative right are um, technically paranoid. I mean, they, they, I mean, they, um, one of the, the kind of key things they believe in a lot of people on the alternative right is that uh, you know the um there's somebody trying to kill the the white race and destroy western civilization this isn't just like oh it's just happening by you know by chance they believe that it's being uh, driven and guided by malevolent actors so they have a paranoid mind frame uh, to begin with and so when you when you start out being a paranoid person and you're in an organization made up of paranoid people, then there's going to be a lot of um, like who's who's really one of us and who isn't, who's a Fed and who isn't, who's a, a, a secret Jew and who isn't. So this is this is just part and parcel of uh, the alt right. I mean, there's all sort of there's all sorts of paranoid people in that movement. And how did you obtain the Zen mind mindset? It, it, it sounds even better than the gorilla mindset hawked by Mike Sotovich. Uh, I, th I think it's because, um, well, I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of, well, several uh, possible actors. It's not just because, you know, I live in Japan, you know, I don't, I don't think that's, I think I always had a Zen mind. I was always, um, yeah, it's probably because of my family background as well, you know, just growing up and with brothers and hearing how, you know, how stupid people can be. Like they kind of, in my, in my family, people would argue about really stupid things. And I would, you know, I, I was actually the youngest. And so I kind of became much more detached looking at it as if from above, you know, 
and seeing how stupid other people were, how kind of um, uh, petty they they were in their emotions, and and how they kind of um, exaggerated things unbelievably, you know. And so I I just sort of developed that way of just like stepping back and just looking at everything as if I wasn't really there. And so I think that's the origin of my you know my Zen mind, to be honest. You know, it's not just because I you know, I've uh, lived in the Orient for many years and, of course, visited many Zen temples and gone to um, shrines in the mountains and meditated and been whacked with a bamboo stick. So you never became a Buddhist monk? Well, not really, no, no. Um, don't haven't shaved the uh, the skull yet. And uh, how's Millennial Woes doing these days? He always seems a little bit mopey and depressed. Yeah, yeah, they, you know, Millennial Woes. Um, ah, such promise wasted, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, he did a podcast um, just the other day on uh, some channel called Scrumpy Monkey on um, YouTube. Um, so I might go and have a listen to that later, see if, um, see if he says anything different. But honestly, a lot of these uh, alt-right personalities, um, when, you, when you go and tune into them again, uh, it's basically like deja vu. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard this. I've heard all this before. I've heard this line before. I've heard this narrative before. Um, so, yeah. It's like a time warp in, 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 in increasingly. So, um, yeah, I think Millennial Woes, his problem is he's just not a happy person and he never will be. And he, you know, he never was. And, and some people, some people are just, um, I, I think some people are just born lucky. They're, they're naturally quite cheerful. They enjoy life. Um, you know, whatever happens to them, bad things, good things, whatever happens to them, they're still, you know, bubbling over and they are, they're enjoying life and they're, they have a positive attitude to what's going on. And some people are the opposite. Their, their happiness level is set at a lower rate. And so they tend to be depressed more easily. They, they tend to take things more negatively. And... I think millennial Oz is probably one of those type of people. I would say my my old friend Andy Nowicki is probably uh, a bit like that. Um, I'd say that Luke Ford is probably a, a more cheerful type of person. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but that's just my impression from uh, you know how you conduct yourself. And you know, I certainly feel that I'm like that. I feel uh, I'm, I'm usually quite a cheerful person. Uh, you know, things don't really get me down too much, and uh, no matter you know how bad they are, you know, I just uh, you know I can I can find some sort of enjoyment or interest in most things, um, and I don't mope and get morose and uh, you know stare into my navel and all that rubbish. I notice a lot of people I know kind of had their minds blown by their experience with the alt right. They they had the sensation that they got to age 25, 30, 40, and, and then suddenly, you know, realized that much of what they'd been told were, were a bunch of lies and that there are 
say, significant group differences between peoples and that Jews exercise a lot of influence in some areas. And 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 then what I, I'm disappointed to see happen is that they stay there, they get stuck there like an insect stuck in, in amber, and they they don't then apply that same skepticism to to further distant right thinking, but it just seems to extend so that now I'm keeping an eye on this mass shooting event in Highland Park near Chicago, and the the immediate response by a lot of people who who are political dissidents is that this is you know this is a, a setup. This is the the government you know arranging something so that they can crack down on guns. And if the if the government comes in with some restrictions to try to deal with COVID or any other putative emergency, that, that this just shows the the nefarious nature of the elite. And so do you have any thoughts on how people kind of seem to get stuck in, in, in particular distant right, dissident thinking, and then they just keep going dissident? So all sorts of events that uh, seem fairly settled by historians, they now, they, they now understand it as the result of a Jewish conspiracy or a Freemason conspiracy, or they, they can't seem to escape the amber of the distant mindset. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the this is the thing. Um, you have organisations like the ADL and the uh, uh, Southern Poverty Law Institution, whatever it's called, and they're and of course there's many other organisations as well, and they're all trying to kind of um, fight uh, to to fight extremism, to to um, de-radicalise people, et cetera, et cetera, to you know shut down racist racism and so on and anti-semitism and you know all these all these organizations are clearly failing um i think people are becoming much more um kind of paranoid conspiracy theory oriented and uh, they're becoming you know uh, maybe the people are becoming less racist but they're becoming more anti-Semitic. I, th- I would I'd say that seems to be a pattern as well. And so all this de-radicalization seems to be failing. And, uh, you know, there, there are reasons for that. And, 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 and the, the, um, of course, the main reason for that is the kind of patterns of behavior that you just described. And why do people, um, why do people, evolve in that way or i should i shouldn't use the term evolve should i, I should why do people de-evolve in that way and of, of course it's because uh, the world is uh, the world doesn't make sense to them and uh, the world is too complicated there's there's things which are quite hard to explain i mean um one of the things you hear people often talking about is how many um non-whites are in adverts or how many uh, mixed race couples are in advertising and TV commercials. And um, it's very, very hard for people to to come up with a, um, a plausible reason for that that doesn't involve some kind of malevolent plot. And uh, you have rapid population changes. People then uh, say, oh, that's the great replacement. And then they, uh, they come up with the idea that it's all been done to them rather than, um, you know, being the... Um, natural result of um, liberal individualism and allowing women to choose uh, what to do with their lives. Um, so 
there are a lot of things that 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 fuel this kind of uh, consp uh, this kind of paranoid um, way of thinking. Um, and this is this is what the alt right ultimately became after its very bright beginnings. This is what it, it was. It was co-opted by these um, very regressive forces, and it became an expression of this uh, kind of weird mindset. And QAnon is another thing that uh, you know um, that gave vent to it. And it seems to be coming in. It seems it does seem to be to be becoming. Um, culturally ascendant in, in certain ways. I, I, you could even say that um, you know people like Tucker Carlson feed into it and, and draw energy from it, and so it 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 uh, it actually has, um, or is starting to uh, impact society on a much more um, you know normy level. And. Similar, similar to this, I noticed many people from distant right politics ha have found that it's it's much more socially acceptable to pose behind titles like trad Catholic or or just based based Christian. That that is definitely more socially acceptable than to say you're alt right. But it, it seems such a, a transparent pose. I mean, because there's. There's very little that that seems to be authentically Catholic about a Nick Fuentes, for example. Do you have any thoughts on that, Colin? The, the Sorry, post? I missed that. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, I, I was wondering if it, it seems that a lot of people in the distant right have... Uh, chosen to adopt terms like trad Catholic or trad Cath or, or base Christian because it's a much more socially acceptable way to to present oneself publicly. But there doesn't seem to be a great deal of, of authentic Christianity behind any of these people posing as traditional Christians. Yeah, yeah, it's very convenient uh, to <clears throat> to wrap it all up in a kind of religious wrapper and uh yeah obviously people like uh, nick fuentes have uh, sort of pioneered this method with uh, a degree of uh, success um so yeah this is uh, i i mean somebody like uh, nick fuentes he just doesn't strike me as a religious type uh, but obviously um by pretending to be a christian it has a lot of utility for his kind of dissident viewpoints uh, he can he can uh, he can almost pretend to be uh, a normal person. He can pretend to be somebody who has a, a resonance with uh, the vast majority of uh, of Americans who also pretend to be Christians. And I'm thinking you also get to avoid sex or too much human contact or you know bonding with people. It's it's a it's it's a useful pose, I, I would expect, if you're, you know, kind of repelled at the idea of having sex with women. Yeah, this is probably what, what um, you know, gave him the idea in the first place. I mean, he, uh, uh, you know, he's a, he's a kind of charismatic young guy. And so everybody's thinking, you know, he, he must have a girlfriend. And there was that big, uh, was that thing some years ago where he was supposed to have a relationship with Kathy Zhu. And uh, of course, nothing was happening. 
absolutely nothing. He was much more interested in Catboy Cameo or whatever, you know. And so uh, this kind of, I'm a Christian, I'm a good boy, I'm a good Catholic boy kind of sh- uh, uh, shtuck. This is, this is perfect for, uh, you know, deflecting from those awkward questions. And so, yeah, yeah, Christian nationalism, Christian, you know, Catholic, uh, conservative, all that stuff. It's ideal for somebody like uh, Nick Fuentes, and it's also ideal for people who, um, you know, who want to be anti-Semitic. I mean, E. Michael Jones, uh, E. Michael Jones, uh, uh, sort of did a lot of uh, pioneering work there. Um, you know, he was he 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 wanted to be very very anti-Semitic, but without being a Nazi or you know being a racial um, Nazi, and so he just concocted this whole weird. Uh, theology of um of uh, the jews rejecting jesus and the re- you know and, and standing for this uh, rejection of jesus and therefore they're bad but if they accepted jesus they'd be good and but they're never going to accept jesus so they must be bad blah 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 you know it's just a, con- a convoluted way of um of being a nazi really yeah and have you experienced like a a creative a creative burst from from starting a new site and having having a more free direction. I know that when I've got stuck in certain genres, that it's very stultifying over time, and then breaking out of that has just been it's just been exciting. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to have a site uh, that I could use to quickly publish things on. Uh, from my other various uh, blog sites, because you know I've I've uh, I've got a history site, and I had a a news site, Trad News, and I thought, you know, it's silly having separate sites. It's best to have one site, and also I wanted a site that I could repost interesting content uh, on from around the the internet, you know, like interesting look forward videos, for example, and you know pieces and uh, by other people, and of course, a lot of the content now is actually. Um, you know, it is video, it is podcast, it's audio. And so the site is um, kind of optimized for reposting videos and audio from other sites and for, you know, posting articles as well, of course, uh, for me and other people. And so it's it's less, uh, it's, it's, it's less work as well. So there's more content, there's less uh, work for me. So it's kind of a win-win situation. How do you maintain such a consistent uh, work ethic? Because for, for every Colin Liddell out there with a consistent work ethic in this sphere, there are 100 people who burn out much quicker. Well, it's a lot easier for me to to write than most people. I, I know what, uh, you know, I can size things up. Uh, I know what the points are that should be, made and you know what in what order to put them and what to leave out and uh, it just you know it's quite a quick process for me to to write something um a lot of, almost all my articles I, I just write in one sitting um and then you know post them straight away with one or two typos and take out the typos and maybe quickly make a an audio visual version and uh, you know multi-platform it it's um you know, I just I just do it not for the money, not for the fame, because I get I get uh, very little of either. And I just do it because I want to, you know, like you, I want to express a few ideas. I want to have my say. 
And if people want to, you know, uh, read it and, and follow it and maybe con contribute in some way with their own uh, content, that's fine. So, you know, just uh, trying to create a nice, um, healthy space for ideas and to break away from uh, this kind of uh, tribal, you know, monkeys throwing shit kind of show that uh, seems to dominate so much of uh, contemporary discourse. And there are a lot, there are a lot more options for increasingly free discussion on online now with with the rise of Odyssey and, and with Bitshoot and, and with Rumble. So we're not we're not as squelched discussing distant ideas as it was greatly feared three or two or even a year ago. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um... Yeah, even on uh, mainstream platforms, you can still discuss quite, you know, radical and um, edgy ideas as long as you um, avoid the obvious, uh, you know, pitfalls, which are, uh, you know, making, making um, various kinds of uh, hate speech, you know. Uh, ideas can be expressed quite uh, coldly and calmly. You don't have to be emotional. You don't have to be frothing at the mouth, you know. You can... Uh, talk about all sorts of things still on the uh, mainstream media or mainstream social media. Mm -hmm. And uh, have you been reading any good books lately? Yeah, yeah, I'm. Yeah, loads of good books, millions of good books. Just can't uh, remember any of them right now. But <laughs> <laughs> they're changing your life. <laughs> oh, what am I reading? Um. Uh, I have to go and see what's in my book pile. Hang on a second. Okay, so uh, just uh, go check that out and uh, we'll listen Hooban to wounded. Fox News a The only bit. good news is this happened in a major metropolitan area with a, with a rash of level one trauma centers. So the people who were taken from the scene to the hospital were put in the best hands possible. That sometimes in outlying areas doesn't happen. It did happen today. We know one person has died at the hospital. Five others died at the scene, at least two dozen injured. We will continue. Okay, uh, Colin, do you, do you have some, some books there to recommend? Chief, about today's mass shooting on 4th of July during a parade. Okay, uh, just uh, jump in, Colin, whenever you have something. <laughs> yeah, an important uh, one. Um, yeah, so I've been reading. I've been reading Ammianus Marcellinus' is uh, history of the later Roman Empire. Okay, and and is that that book? Uh, when, when was it written? Well, this guy, he was, um, he was a fourth century Roman general. And, uh, so he was very, you know, involved with all the, uh, top people in those days, you know, the, um, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the line of emperors that, uh, came after Constantine the Great. And, uh, probably the most important, uh, of those emperors for Ammianus Marcellinus was, uh, uh, the Emperor Julian, you know, who's who's known as Julian the Apostate, and he was the uh, famously the uh, the Roman Empire who um, tried to kind of re revert back to paganism, 
and uh, he came unstuck because he was killed on campaign in uh, somewhere in the middle of Iraq, or what is now Iraq, I should say. And so that's that's quite an interesting, you know, look at back at the past. Uh, he's a very interesting character, Julian. He's he's, he's a very earnest figure. Uh, he's really trying to do his best, and in a in a bad situation, and. Uh, you know, just the whole kind of um, power dynamic in those days, it was very, very difficult to um, to be a, a Roman emperor. There, was, there were always problems. There were always, you know, barbarians at the border. There were rebellious army, armies, mutinian. Uh, there were always, there was, uh, you know, on the one hand, you had to... Um, you had to uh, save the empire, but in order to save the empire, you had to rely upon successful generals. And if you had successful generals, there was a pretty good chance that at least one of those successful generals would try to usurp your position. So it was, it was, it was a very um, unstable kind of political situation. Um, and you could, you, you could see why the Roman Empire became increasingly kind of calcified and, um, you know, riddled by corruption and... Uh, a, a loss of uh, kind of um, social cohesion. Yeah, and uh, anything else that you've been reading these days? Oh, I've written seven years in Tibet, um, which is a pretty interesting book. Um, it's actually it's actually a very interesting book and also a very boring book because sometimes you'll be describing you know how many mountains he he managed to trek past and. Uh, you know uh, how few houses this village had, and how you know tiny that village was, and so there's all this kind of pedantic, uh, you know, Himalayan stuff. Uh, but also, um, there's some interesting kind of cultural insights into Tibet, and it sounds like a really kind of fun country. The people are really nice, kind of interesting people. They have a good sense of humor. Um, they're quite, uh, you know, hardy people, but they're they're kind of um, they have a kind of very positive view of life. It seems, and uh, it seems such a pity that uh, this was this this society was um, kind of crushed by the uh, the Chinese when they took over the communist Chinese and uh, forced to become part of the uh, this this Han Chinese Empire. And it also was turned into a movie, correct? Starring Brad yeah, Pitt. yeah, Brad Pitt uh, played um, the part of uh, Heinrich Hara, this this German's. Uh, I think he's an Olympic skier and mountaineer, and uh, of course he was uh, trying to cl climb somewhere in the Himalayas when the war broke out, and he was rounded rounded up by the British and kept in an internment camp, and eventually he managed to escape and. Uh, he headed for the uh, the Himalayas, him and a few other Germans, and uh, they managed to kind of fit quite nicely into uh, Tibetan society after a, after a, a few difficulties. So quite an interesting book, but uh, also it has um, you know he's he's not really a professional writer. This guy he's he's a professional mountaineer and skier, and so you know it's in some in some ways that's a strength because he's more direct and more simple. But, in, but also, uh, you know, he uh, sometimes he can be a bit pedantic. Right. 
Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we move on for today? Uh, no, no, I better let you get back to Tucker Carlson, all right? Okay, so, thanks. Thanks, Colin. Speak to you later. Luke. Okay, all right. blessings. Take care. Okay, Colin Liddell there. Thank you very much, Colin. Is uh, Richard talking to Ed? <laughs> okay. One that holds society together. You know, where would marriages be without good mistresses? In the words of uh, Roger Scruton. Mm. Fascinating girls. Talking about um, e-girls. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is a this is a phenomena that I don't think is going to go away. And I, and I think it's going to be, in fact, intensified because so many people exist parasocially in the sense that, you know, sex is everywhere, though actual sex is declining. Um, everyone's your friend. You have, you know, a hundred thousand Twitter followers or a, a million friends on Facebook, but you don't have any actual friends. And so I think in the sense that there is a tremendous demand for parasocial relationships or virtual relationships, I think the e-girl and like politics as entertainment will only intensify. And we're going to see just a series of, of these women. And men, to a large degree, like th this is where it is. This is where we are. This is this is how you do politics now. And like AOC, she she is a very ta I I actually underestimated her when she first came on the scene. I thought she kind of won her district due to just shoe leather politics and just wasn't that interesting and smart. I think she actually is fairly brilliant, and she is a kind of <coughs> she is articulate. She's more articulate than alt-right e-girls. I would say that. And she actually does have ideas, to give her credit. I don't necessarily agree with them. But, <clears throat> excuse me, she cre creates a national and, in fact, global fan base by doing casual, relatable streams on Instagram. Like, she is your pal in a way mm. that none of these other Congress men or women are or could be they're they're boring and they just they're they're working behind the scenes to pull some levers and bring 10 10 grand to their district for some new sidewalk or whatever the hell but they're not your friend they're 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 kind of just a function and they're they they strive for being respectable and and so on she strives to be relatable but that's what i mean that's what pal. weirdly that puts me in mind of boris that's what boris did so Boris, mm. by getting on Have I Got News For You, which was an extremely popular program, and being very funny on it, and then was invited back and invited back and eventually hosted it. And, and he became you know, your friend, everyone's friend, Boris, who right. everyone likes. He must be the first example, well, apart from perhaps the Duke of Wellington, of somebody who was very, very, very well-known already and then went into politics rather than somebody who became well-known as a consequence of going into politics uh, in the UK. So he, he was Trump-like in that way, or perhaps Reagan-like. Right. Reagan would be a, maybe another example. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the, 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 the celebrity comes first. And it's right. now, uh, even with books, you, you try and publish a book these days with a lot of publishers, they want to know about, have you got a YouTube channel? Uh, how, are you on Twitter? How many followers right. have you got? It's, it's, it's like, you, 
it's not you become famous because of the book you've published. It's you become famous and you then publish a book. That's the right. order it's supposed to go. It's completely true. Right. The effect comes first. <coughs> yeah. Before the cause. And yeah, I mean, Trump, I, I've said this many times. I mean, the the all of this stuff that people attack Trump for, that, that was a feature and not a bug. Like the fact that he went on, he did wrestling matches and the fact that he was on The Apprentice and the fact that he was almost a kind of parody of a rich person. He was the poor man's rich person in the sense that he was a, a, a kind of cartoon of a rich person. That was all absolutely essential to his victory. It was, that, that was it. Just merely being a billionaire. All these billionaires, who they try to run for office, they crash and burn. You know, like the Starbucks CEO wanted to be a kind of centrist Republican slash Democrat who's, you know, respected. He's created this um, global business, Starbucks. No one wants this. Schultz, I believe his name. No one wants, no one wanted that stuff. The left hated him. The right don't, doesn't like him. I mean, it, it just didn't work. But Trump, because he went on, re he did wrestling <laughs> and stuff like that was it. So he was relatable and he was famous for being famous. And then you know, then he can bring that into something that's uh, an actual politics. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just checking the 42 responses I've had so far to my question on Twitter about what kind of people these girls are. Uh, but, but, uh, there's, uh, there's, other, uh, there's, well, the grifters was one of the words that was used, uh, low agreeableness. Okay. Yeah. Richard did a Twitter space on June 21st. So All right. That's uh... one. Welcome to my space. Haven't done these in a little while. That so little had gotten done in the sense talking of about January sixth. So they had arrested and you know indicted or you know scheduled trials for all of these yahoos and yokels who had actually gone into the Capitol and so on, and they had not really gone after you know funders, Trump himself, people around Trump the stop the steel grift movement, et cetera. They had just been all, and I was always wondering like, are they just gonna, you know, throw the book at these poor saps who bought into all this nonsense and leave Trump free and clear and all the people around him? I don't think that's gonna happen. I, I think this is gonna take many years, but it will actually end up in an indictment. Um, all right, I'll let everyone in. Um, Klaus, you have your hand up. Hey, you know, Richard, how's it going? Bye. Going well. Uh, so I'm gonna be honest, you know, I am kind of in favor of the January 6th people, I think. The charges are a bit blown up, but one thing you said about people being pretty uh, united and trying to indict these people uh, really does speak on how much Americans trust, I guess, the, the institution of government. Because looking back at it and being quite objective about the, the facts, January 6th was pretty frightening to American democracy because I, don't, I can't really think of a time this has ever happened in the U.S. I don't recall people just storming the White House and right. making a big scene of it. Like, unironically, the last time I remember that happening was the War of 1812. And that was like a whole different type of thing, right? Oh, yeah. So am I correct? You were, you were quite young at the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I can definitely understand why people would be in favor of indicting uh, these protesters, uh, even if I personally don't really support that. And it kind of yeah. goes to show that people need to stop living in these QAnon uh, sort of uh, echo chambers. Because like the, the U.S. is not as much as you like, we like to criticize the U.S. The U.S. is really not a third world country because this is the type of thing that happens in third world countries. You know, people are unsatisfied with the results of an election and they might make a big scene and they might even storm their version of the White House. But this, is, this, just, this just does not happen to a first world liberal democracy. So for people to even attempt to do that was very. 
Okay, so we're coming up on what seven hours since this shooting in in about the most affluent part of Chicago. Ninety percent white, thirty percent Jewish. There are a lot of people in the area who've been ordered to shelter in place. And it's curious they still don't have this gunman. Stupid on their part. And it kind of shows how deluded one can be, um, you know, when, when you look, when you go deep into this QAnon rabbit hole, which, you know, you have criticized quite a lot. You know, you went after 4chan and stuff like that. As, as yeah. to whether actual charges can be placed on Trump, um, not a legal expert, of course, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he'll be, able to, uh, he'll be able to indict him on that because he did, like, he, if I recall correctly, when, he sent out a couple of videos that morning and he said, you know, you know, make your voice heard, be peaceful, but, you know, don't do anything stupid. And so I, I don't know if from what he said, he'd be. Like, did he say that? Or you're just paraphrasing, I presume. But did he say that? Because, I mean, look, if this were an actual trial, which it's not, it has all the trappings of a trial. And the committee is clearly prosecuting Trump, you know, and they're even I mean, this is one thing I, I could mention. This is this is my other kind of take on the trial is that they're prosecuting Trump and they're also bending over backwards to rehabilitate Republicans. This is the kind of like irony of, of all these like Fox News you know, idiots like Tucker Carlson being like, it's a show trial or whatever. They are, the, the, the committee is doing their darndest to rehabilitate Mike Pence. And like even Bill Barr, people they hate, basically, or, or, they, or you would think that they would hate. Um, they are trying to be like, oh, you know, Mike Pence showed such heroism on that day, blah, blah, blah. But um, in, in terms of like, in an actual trial, obviously Trump would have his side of things as a defendant. He'd be able to make his case. And he would say something. And I'm sure there are some exculpatory tweets out there. But like the the things that are just so bad is, you know, Wiley's at the event, I will walk with you hand in hand uh, down Pennsylvania Avenue. And we are going to, you know, basically make hell and encourage our people to decertify the election. I mean, I don't know, like, what is that other than let's go to the Capitol. And one of the things that I had never heard before until this trial came up and, and there was actually a New York times like piece on the proud boys also mentioned this. So the proud boys started marching towards the Capitol before Trump had finished his speech, which strikes me as rather odd. You know, aren't these like fans? Like, where are you going? What are you doing? So they, they seem to, I mean, I know the coup was buffoonish as hell, but there seemed to be some kind of like method to the madness. There seemed to be some logic there and some kind of planning. So I, I don't know. I mean, whether Trump will get off, that's a whole other question, but whether Garland will go through with it and actually indict, indict him. I mean, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have said that a while ago, but I'm just seeing this and I'm seeing like polls like that. And just remember Garland, you know, the guy, attorney general, he was nominated for the Supreme Court, et cetera. But, you know, he's a politician. <laughs> he's as much as they would like to say they're going to do something unpopular. Like when something is this high profile, they won't do anything unpopular. And there are some cases of the Supreme Court and, you know, like the Supreme Court defending the Westboro Baptist Church and so on. Like that is genuinely unpopular. And they made a statement. But, you know, so I can cite some counterexamples. But generally speaking, he is going to kind of go with the flow. And I just sense that they're going to go all the way with this one. And particularly going after Trump himself, because you could come up with a scenario um, that, that's somewhat plausible where they kind of let Trump off the hook in a way and, and are like, well, you know, we, we, there were some bad actors and they misled the president or something. But they, they're not doing that at all. And that stuff today where they replayed all the Georgia recordings that came out before January 6th, I believe. I mean, those are just damning as hell. I mean, I don't I don't know how. No, they haven't arrested the shooter. They haven't identified his name. They they just say white guy, eighteen to twenty, slight build, long long black hair. So th that's that's curious. They haven't oh, found the guy. Indeed. Seven hours it's later, it's like Trump berating these Republicans and basically saying like you know 
well, you know, here's this conspiracy theory or here's this like unfounded assertion about vote stealing or whatever. And he's like, guys, we just need 11,000. Just give me 11. I mean, it's just so damning. Usually top guys leave stuff like that to their underlings. And this was just Trump just outright saying it. I mean, it was, I don't know. I, I just don't see how it would go. But again, this gets to the kind of logic of polarization, which is kind of a conspiracy theory logic. So, you know, if you say, well, you shot JFK. And I say, what? I didn't shoot JFK. And then the conspiracy theorist says, well, see, that's exactly what a JFK assassin would say. See, th this proves it. And it's a kind of heads I win, tails you lose logic where it's like, if someone accused me of shooting JFK and I said, you're right, I did it. They'd be like, all right, proof, it's out in the open now. But if I deny it, they'll be like, ah, see, of course, now we really know because he's denying it. It's this polarization logic where like, there's nothing, you know, like this trial for, for his base and for the 30% of the country, or at least like 30 to 40% of Republicans that are totally on board with this. There is nothing you can say at this hearing that will change their mind. And in fact, the better evidence you have, that becomes like greater proof of a deep state conspiracy or the wickedness of the liberals, liberals or something. I mean, they are just truly irrational and paranoid. And, but the fact that this has been able to convince like a large percentage of the country and, you know, 20 million people watch the first one, that, that is like a Monday night football game or Sunday night football game. I mean, that's a big amount of audience. And all of these clips that have been, that are getting passed around the news and recycled. I mean, I think, at least half, I mean, I know all those Jay Leno videos where they go and ask people at Disney World, they're like, name the vice president or whatever. And they're like, oh, who's that? Is it Dan Goyle still? I don't know. You know, I get it how like most Americans are idiots and <laughs> whatever, but like the voting public or just the public that's somewhat tuned in, I think they are getting this repeated over and over. And also like the evidence is pretty strong. I mean, I don't know what to say. They did the stupidest, most buffoonish coup attempt in world history. They did it. Okay, and uh, let's get a little something here. This is Mickey Cowles talking with Robert Wright about Cassidy Hutchinson's um, The Washington Post, in covering Cassidy Hutchinson, mm -hmm. and this was not a recent thing. This was like right out of the bat. Uh, the day the, the, the report immediately followed her testimony, uh, writes about her meteoric rise as a 24-year-old, and how it happened. It says, this, I'm quoting the Western Post. I'm not saying anything myself. During the first impeachment trial, Hutchinson grew close to Meadows as a legislative affairs staffer in the White House, former advisors said. Once he was named chief of staff in March 2020, he immediately elevated her. And she eventually became his principal assistant. She was given an office next to his, which in turn put her a few days, put her a few doors away from the Oval Office. What are they trying to tell us here, Bob? I think you may be reading more into it w than they intended. I don't think I'm reading more into it because... I mean, if they uh, had said he immediately elevated her and she reciprocated, that would be one thing. But they didn't say that. Uh, no, but it's just... It, it's a weird thing to write. And... and Through there, close. There, it's, it's one of those... One of those Things that I have, you have a feeling that everybody in Washington is talking about this, but nobody will write this in part because nobody wants to be involved in the Monica Lewinsky like slut shaming of a key government witness, uh, of, of a key anti Trump witness, because that would be a scummy thing to do. But it's, it, it, suppose it is true, it is relevant to her testimony. It doesn't mean her testimony is false, it might mean her testimony is extremely true. Uh, but if somehow she's trying to get back at Meadows, some man who done her wrong or something. Wait, done her wrong? Uh, he wouldn't do her wrong. He's lucky to have her. 
He'd hang right, on to that as tightly as he an, could. But he's well, an asshole. I'll tell you one thing in her testimony. One thing in her testimony is I gather that she found it somewhat annoying that every time she tried to talk to him, he didn't look up from his cell phone. She says that again and again and again. He didn't. And I did, well, she 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 paints him as a in a very bad light, and that would yeah fit fit in with this theory. What uh, you know, he, he, he for all we know, he's looking at very important messages on his cell phone from Mike Pence saying, "Help! They're about to kill me." Uh, so, uh, it, 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 you know, it's perfectly rational for him not to look up from his cell phone. Well, you tell her that. All what, I'm saying is, it seems to have bothered. Her. I mean, she really, it really was a theme. And uh, I, I mean, of course, the, what the the plain reading of it is, this is how little he cared about, you know, weapons being there and about them ha- wanting to hang Mike Pence and so on. But uh, it's but, interesting. I mean, I mean every, everybody yeah. in the world at that time period was was sending him messages saying, "You got to stop this thing." So. That's what was on his cell phone, obviously. Well, but the, but there were other times when she said that, you know, the, that oh, okay. was one of several uh, instances when he wouldn't look. At it. Anyway, um, I mean, are you suggesting, Mickey, that there was some kind of physical relationship between the two? It was, that's, I thought that's what the Washington Post was suggesting, and I'm suggesting that that's a possibility. Grew close. And, uh, and I'm not going to mention it other than out inside the parrot room where – did you what goes on in the parrot room stays in the parrot room, but I wonder you wonder if it's coloring, for example, I, I was surprised that Josh Dossey, normally virulently anti-Trump, wrote a mildly uh, possibly critical tweet about Hutchinson saying, why didn't they, you know, why didn't they uh, you know notify us about the Secret Service testimony that contradicted her? And the general press, uh, immediately giving credence to these uh, statements that contradicted her was weird. I mean, they're supposed to be in love with this woman. They're supposed to be hyping this woman to the skies, as many of them were. Why are they suddenly being well, what's fair? your theory? No they, they were jealous of... of my, my theory is that they think she's Tracy Flick, as blogger Luke Ford said, and um, uh, and and they, they, they sort of think... Uh, there was resentment among a lot of their sources about her rise to power and her running around the White House, lording it over people because, you know, she was tight with Mike Meadows. By the way, the guy who wrote Election has just come out with a sequel, I think, if I heard the radio correctly. Speaking of Tracy, that guy? I don't know. The guy who wrote the book that the movie was based on. Um, supposed to be a good. OK, so is Cassidy Hutchinson a, a Tracy Fleck type character? From the the movie election, the novel election. Yeah, just one more thing, and then I'll let you. Uh, so, do you see any parallels with the with the trucker protest in uh, in Canada? Obviously, that was a little uh, a little different, but uh, yeah, we sort. I don't know if people will learn the lesson that if you're gonna go if you're gonna go for the juggler, you have to go the whole way. Like you actually yeah. have to advocate for things that I'm not even gonna talk about here, right? But well, <laughs> yeah, like, if you're gonna do a coup, I mean, this and I've, I've said this. I, I was saying this with. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm... Okay, let's. Uh, Peter Navarro on Friday talked about how how Mark Meadows had a harem and uh, he had this whole whole group of women who followed him into the White House. She was part of the press team. She and Kayla. Okay, let me get back to the start here. Oh, come on. Come on, Apple. Should never have played this on, on Apple Podcasts. Very frustrating setup here. 
trying to do a high quality podcast, guys. Come on now. Uh, give um, everybody your social media and. Uh, this is Peter Navarro. You're hosting Steve She's Bannon's part War of the room. press team. Oh man, get get the the dog on playback error one more time. I'm 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 gonna get this now. This will be right. Player, so to see her front and center with millions and millions of people watching and to maintain such poise and confidence doing what dozens of people twice her age, three times her age are too terrified to do, refusing subpoenas, not showing up was remarkable. It was inspiring, honestly, as, as a woman to watch. Um, I don't even know what the biggest takeaway from today was. She, I had a sense of what she was going to say. This went far beyond anything I knew of um, from the fact that she confirmed the pre former president wanted to see more violence on January 6th. He knew there were weapons and he wanted to see them used to wanting to take over the beast, his car, and potentially drive it to Capitol Hill. I mean, she painted a picture of what was even worse than what I knew when I resigned in December, uh, early December of 2020, which was a man unhinged out of touch with reality and with advisors around him seemingly doing nothing to stop it. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America. One of the key themes of Taking Back Trump's America um, is a riff on uh, the old Reagan administration saw that personnel is policy, meaning that if you if you put personnel in there that are going to have one set of views, your policy is going to reflect those views. So as a president, you, you better get that right. Um, what I do in Taking Back Trump's America is expand that fairly dramatically into uh, the principle that bad personnel is not just bad policies, uh, but also bad politics. And what we saw during the four years that I served in the White House, really Achilles heel of, of the presidency, was this tendency to put too many people inside the White House perimeter who were either um, rabidly anti-Trump, believe that, that was incredible to me, or simply rhinos with no allegiance to the most important parts of the Trump agenda. The thing that distinguishes Trump Republicanism versus rhino Republicanism um, is not tax cuts, it's not deregulation. I mean, we all agree on those on the Republican side of the fence, and, and for good reason. It's secure borders, which the rhinos loathe. They want to open our borders. It's uh, strategic energy dominance, which, which entails building up things like our fracking industries across this country, from Pennsylvania and New York out to the, the Dakotas, um, having a strong national fence, but at the same time having an end to endless wars. And so when I see a clip like that with um, CNN's Jake Tapper, who is as rapidly anti-Trump as you can get and who throughout the, the 2020 election season um, would, would 
perpetrate lie after lie after lie after lie against Trump, sitting there with this woman named Alyssa Farah, as she called the president crazed, as she made false allegations uh, against him about being unhinged. Um, I sat with Alyssa Farah in the White House when she was in the press corps. She was the, the she was part of the press team. She and Kaylee McEnany. Um, and she was supposed to be the head of strategy for the Trump administration. And now she's sitting in a chair across from Jake Tapper on the anti-Trump CNN network talking smack against President Trump. And it, it blows my mind to see that. But the Taking Back Trump's America book is about how all that happened. So when we come back um, in the next segment, I'm, I want to walk you through how Alyssa Farah, Cassidy Hutchinson, who testified this last week, and some of the other bad seeds in the White House uh, were effectively, I, I, I say this with tongue-in-cheek looking at Cameron here, are effectively the bad seed of none other than Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Okay. Minus party. Political views or Google Play. Oh man, they're giving me the doggone playback error. I'm just trying to trying to play a little Peter Navarro, but the, the Google podcast interface is just it's just downright un-American, folks. Sixth uh, was uh, clearly an attempt to uh, delay the count of the electoral. Come on. Trump's America book on Amazon now. Um, the key organizing principle of this is is that the, the bad personnel that we put in the White House beginning from day one back in January of 2017 um, in that White House, you know, Mnuchin, Tillerson, Mattis, all these bad apples, bad personnel, not only led to bad policies in the sense that they were not Trumpian policies, uh, but often led to bad politics because Sometimes we didn't follow through on what the boss promised, and that would cost us at the ballot box. In this particular case, the backstory behind Alyssa Farrow starts with with Mark Meadows. I, I frankly, he was the fourth chief of staff, um, and he would be the second one from the Freedom uh, Freedom Caucus. Um, the feckless Mick Mulvaney, who, who almost brought the president down. Uh, but with the worst press conference in history, um, turns the reins over to Mark Meadows. Now, the thing about Meadows, you know, Mark's a likable person. Uh, he kind of when you when you that's he's a glad hander. He knows how to like Peter Navarro, whatever, and, former and trade, that's what politicians do. Trade dude. But my Trump. first encounter with Meadows was when Aunt he was Steve still Bannon's a congressman. War room. Um, and I, the, but the boss sent me on a mission, and I was, I was visiting different congressman with Sean Duffy, um, who, who's just the greatest guy in the world. And we were trying to get uh, congressmen to support what was called the Reciprocal Trade Act, which was simply that if um, a country like India is going to put massive tariffs on the U.S. Um, under the Reciprocal Trade Act, if Congress passed it, the president would have the ability to do tit for tat. Okay, if you're not going to lower your tariffs, India, we're going to raise them to yours. And we thought that that simple 
Reciprocal Trade Act um, would give us a tremendous tool to force countries around the world to stop taking advantage of American workers and American small businesses uh, by sticking us with their, their real unfair trade practices. You know, lo and behold, you know, I go in and like, I talk to Meadows and say, oh, yeah, we'll look at it, this, that, and the other thing. Um, Sean and I got a bunch of people to support the Reciprocal Trade Act, but Mark Meadows was not one of them. He, he simply never supported the Trump tariffs. He never supported Buy American, Hire American. And so lo and behold, the guy is like, oh, we're going to appoint Meadows as chief of staff. It's like, it was like a head shaker. It's the same head shake I gave when they appointed Bill Barr as the attorney general. Like a bushy Bill Barr. What are you doing with, with Bill Barr um, in there? It's like, that. that's just nuts. Um, but so Meadows comes in now. Now, here's where it got interesting. And the joke around the White House was when Meadows came in is he brought his harem with him. It's like he takes, you know, of the, of the major hires he puts, there's like five women that he brings in, right? Three to, to personnel his outer office, right? And two um, in the press office to replace the people who were there, right? So well, what can go wrong there? Well, first of all, um, Alyssa Farah and Kaylee McEnany would be the two people that would push out Stephanie Grisham. And Meadows does it in the worst possible way. He's very offensive to Stephanie. Stephanie, look, she, she was good people. Uh, but Meadows treated her so poorly that she did the worst possible thing, which was to turn on Trump and Melania and write, write one of those kiss all, tell all kind of worst kind of books and, and, and shame on Stephanie Grisham. But I blame Meadows for that because of his callous disregard for, for Stephanie herself. And so he sticks us with, 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 uh, Alyssa Farah and Kaylee McEnany. Now, um, what happened? Well, both of those women come January 6th, um, would, would just trash the president. Um, when in fact, the last thing President Trump wanted was any kind of violence that day. It, it interfered completely with our ability to count um, the the votes, right? And um, so, so Alyssa does her kind of like public prostration in front of the, the the media, and it's like, oh, I hate Trump now. Please hire me. And she gets her little cushy little. CNN job, and she sits there with 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 Jake Tapper and proceeds to to make all sorts of falsehood claims. I mean, she mentions the beast, right? It was this this fanciful idea that somehow the president was in the, the presidential limo and lunged at the wheel. He wasn't even in the beast that day. I mean, it's just it's just so wrong um, to see her. And then the other part of the the story, it's like the three women. That were that were in inside the outer office of the chief of staff. One of them was this Cassidy Hutchins. And look, I don't I don't know if she's telling the truth or whether she thinks she's telling the truth or whatever. But all I remember about her, and it was kind of a running joke, was every time I went over there, she was sitting there with a big bag of candy, pretty much doing nothing. And I I couldn't figure out why she was there. And Meadows gave these people like high ranks, like special assistant to the president. That's a big deal. That is a big deal uh, to give somebody. And he's, he's, he's get, he's, Meadows handed this stuff out. And, and the punchline here is that a lot of these people 
um, who are uh, being shown in cameos on this Jan 6 committee, they're people who from the get-go um, hated President Trump. I mean, this guy Hirschman, Mark Short, and, and Mike Pence. It's like, and and for the record, um, it's like Cassidy Hutchinson's like wringing her hands about the treatment of Mike Pence. It's like, I like Mike. Mike was a good guy, but Mike in the end, did the worst possible thing for this republic when he got a legal, a flawed legal opinion from another never Trumper, Greg Jacob, his own general counsel, and Mark Short, Pence gets this opinion. Okay, that's uh, Peter Navarro, former trade dude for Donald Trump. Uh, was uh, clearly an attempt Wait, to uh, delay the count of the electoral votes. Like, if you're going to do a coup, you need the military involved. And, like, I don't know. I mean, most coups don't involve this amount of people. I mean, do we know how many people were in, were at the Ellipse and then were just general Indian area on January 6th? I don't know. I mean, hundreds of thousands. I mean, it is a huge crowd. And if you're going to do, so more people were involved with this coup than have ever been involved in any other coup. Like, if you're going to do a coup, you, you might have some supporters, but it's like, it's going to be a few people and you're going to be totally resolved and willing to die or willing to risk death at least. And you go and so where is Steve Bannon hosted these days? He does a show called Steve Bannon's War Room, and it's all over everywhere. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Rumble. It's all over everywhere but YouTube. So it's it's one of the top 10 most downloaded, most listened to podcasts every day. Question from the chat. Looking good, Luke. Have you changed your diet and exercise regime? Well, I've been exercising a lot more over the the past year, thanks to my my grass-fed beef organ supplement. Feel like a whole new man. All right, this is uh, Richard Spencer, June 21st. You, you try to do it. These conservatives, like, or the truckers, they, they try to, like, have their cake and eat it, too. So they'll talk about revolution, and they'll, I mean, and again, all of these people are just explicitly talking about revolution or saying, doing QAnon stuff, like the storm is coming and blah, blah, blah. And they go to the Capitol, and then when they get, like, pushed back or attacked or arrested or, like, the state cracks back on them, they're just like, whoa, hold on now. Aren't we all Americans here? You know, and it's like they, it's like they don't recognize how the degree to which they've escalated matters, and they're not really willing to see it through. And so I, that's why I just find it them pathetic. And I, I don't, I'm not on their side. I mean, I feel sorry for the randos who have been arrested because they were- You're a fucking faggot. Whoa, disavow. Okay, thanks. Who was that? Stoned? Okay. Disavow. Bye-bye. That, that's against my, um, my kind of conduct. I love these guys who just really uh, contribute so much to discourse. Um, so, uh, like, I, I do have genuine sympathy for those people because they were duped. And, but like, in terms of all these conservatives or Trump themselves, I, I don't, it's hard to describe my emotions. I mean, it's a kind of mixture of contempt and maybe schadenfreude or something, but it's like, listen. You well, you can find the war room on Google podcasts. Google also owns YouTube, but YouTube has far more restrictions than, than uh, the podcasting app. So the podcasting apps, whether they're Google podcasts or Apple podcasts, they do almost no restrictions. So the identical content is banned on YouTube, but easily available on Google Podcasts. So there's not very much restriction online vis-a-vis -vis podcasts. I mean, you'd have to be 10 times, 20 times, 50 times more offensive 
on on a podcast to get banned from Google or Apple as opposed to being on Twitch or YouTube. So this is uh, Richard from January 21st. Guys, like I, whether I support it or not, I would have a little bit of respect if you tried like a good old fashioned coup d'etat, you know, and you went in with the military and you seized power, you declared a new order, you have your own media. They did have their own media. But you have your own media that broadcasts out, you start dealing with other nations. Like you accept the fact that you're engaging in treason and you're usurping the government and you have a kind exactly. of vision for why this makes sense. I can at least respect that because you're you're like taking you're taking response. So why don't they why don't they censor podcasts as much as they do live streaming videos? Uh, good question. I, I just think because there was so much more attention paid to YouTube and to Twitch. So people react to incentives. So all the attention paid to the radicalizing effect of YouTube, hence much more of a crackdown. And and podcasts is, I think, more diverse. There are just so many more of them. And uh, perhaps it's just harder to keep track. So Nick Fuentes has been in the news quite a bit. Only be Christian countries. And that is because Christianity is correct. Some might say everybody's entitled to their own opinion and every, everybody can express their own religion. And so people can have their own countries. And I would agree with that if Christianity weren't true, but we know that it is. And so if that's the case, why should other countries be allowed to be wrong? Why, why should countries persist? Why should there be governments and peoples in a world what do they want to be wrong? We have all these countries that are going to just empty out into hell when they go away. Uh, these countries are just places where the floor opens up and everybody falls into hell and they die. Uh, no, I, no, I don't actually think that's a good idea at all. So we'll start with America. I think America is a good start. We're going to reclaim America for Christ, retake America for Christians. And if people have a problem with that, they can you know, they can stay and live under it or they can go somewhere else where they have different rules. And then we're going to follow you to those countries and we're going to make those countries the same way and you are going to become a Christian. Uh, and if you don't, well, you're just going to have to live in a Christian world. But that's really the only way that it should be. So they've identified person of interest here. Going. Thank in you. Chicago. Where's the governor going to be at Six o'clock, we believe. Well, there you have the breaking news, and it is big breaking news. The Highland Park Police Department has now identified who they believe to be the suspect in today's shooting at the 4th of July parade in Highland Park, which, if you don't know and are just joining us, is about 20, 25 miles north of Chicago. Um, it is an upscale area, and today, about 14 minutes after the parade began this morning at 1014, uh, somebody... Police believe a man named Robert Bobby E. Cremo, it's C-R-I-M-O, opened fire from the rooftop of a building and shot down on people, killing six and wounding at least two dozen, maybe more. The numbers, of course, are still coming in. He is believed to be 22 years old and is driving a silver 2010 Honda Fit. 
and police did not say where they believe he might have been going or might be headed, but apparently he has left the area. Remember, in that area of Highland Park, there was this severe lockdown all day. Police put in a very tight perimeter and told people to shelter in place. That was an indication that it was possible that they had him or, or they knew that he might be in the area. Well, apparently he's not there. He is on the run somewhere. Police don't know where, but he is also from, and they didn't say Highland Park specifically. They would only say he's from the area. Someone asked again, is he from Highland Park? And the police officer responded, he's from the area. Yes. So again, it's unclear where he might be from, but he's 22 years old. The initial description was a white male, black hair, between the ages of 18 and 20. It turns out he is 20 years old, 22 years old, check that, uh, and was apparently able to make it up onto this rooftop. And there was a ladder in the back of the building, say police. He made his way up on the rooftop with a high-powered rifle. They have not yet told us exactly what type of rifle this was, except to say it was high-powered. They have not told us how many rounds were fired. But we do know that some people heard dozens, maybe as many as 60 to 100 so rounds being fired. That weapon was left behind. Police recovered the weapon and alcohol, tobacco, and firearms arms is in a race against the clock trying to determine exactly who you know owns that is? weapon or at least the the ownership circle who owns it who might have sold it to somebody else and whether like this weapon walker, leads back to I this robert bobby no Primo. like a sleepwalker unable to stop and think my actions will be valiant and my thought is unnecessary I know what I have to do. I know what's in it, not only for me, but for everyone else. Where am I going? I don't know, I don't care. There is no past or future, just the now. It is more abstract than I could ever imagine. I can feel the atmosphere pushing me in. It's unstoppable, like a wave pulling me under. I can't breathe without it. I can't see or hear what I don't want. I need to leave now. I need to just do it. It is my destiny. Everything has led up to this. Nothing can stop me, not even myself. Is there a such thing as free will? Or has this been planned out like a cosmic recipe? It is what I've been waiting for in the back of my head, ready to be awakened. It's what I was sent here to do like a sleepwalker, walking steady with my head held high, like a sleepwalker, walking blindly into the night. This is on Vimeo. I haven't taken it down yet, but they'll be ripping it down. Are you awake? That's the, that's the name here of, of the video. And uh, this is what happens if you just put Robert Cremo into. Like a sleepwalker, I am breaking through no matter what. Like a sleepwalker, unable to stop and think. My actions will be valiant. And my thought is unnecessary. I know what I have to do. 
I know what's in it, not only for me, but for everyone else. Where am I going? I don't know, I don't care. There is no past or future, just the now. It is more abstract than I could ever imagine. I can feel the atmosphere pushing me in. It's unstoppable, like a wave pulling me under. I can't breathe without it. I can't see or hear what I don't want. I need to leave now. I need to just do it. It is my destiny. Everything has led up to this. Nothing can stop me, not even myself. Is there such thing as free will? Or has this been planned out like a cosmic recipe? It is what I've been waiting for in the back of my head, ready to be awakened. It's what I was sent here to do, like a sleepwalker, walking steady with my head held high, like a sleepwalker, walking blindly into the night. Wow, he sounds like an Apollonian. So that's the the first thing that comes up when you put his name into Google. ...involved in this uh, this manhunt, and they do, as you mentioned, consider him to be armed and dangerous. Uh, Mr. Primo, according to uh, the authorities, was able to access a rooftop uh, on the parade route uh, via a ladder that was unattended, that was in an alley, so people wouldn't have seen him climb up there uh, necessarily at the time. Uh, He had a a very low uh, presence, if you will, uh, as he uh, peeked out over the building and fired out on the crowd, and one of the things you get from the video, uh, you can hear multiple, multiple shots being fired in rapid succession from this weapon that so far the authorities have only said was a high-powered rifle. So the manhunt is underway. Uh, Highland Park remains locked down for the moment, uh, but they did say that he was in a car. Uh, the area that they had locked down isn't very big, so it, it has st- Okay, so still some, some content of him up on YouTube right now. Robert Cremo archive footage. I'm going to turn the music off. Don't need any copyright strikes. We'll get back to you if anything happens with the search for the suspect. Mike Tobin, live for us in Chicago. Mike, thank you. President Biden shortly addressed today's tragedy from the White House. It comes less than two weeks after he signed gun safety legislation into law. White House correspondent Peter Ducey is live from the North Lawn. Peter, good evening. Good evening, Trace. The president, in his very brief remarks on the South Lawn a few minutes ago, alluded to Roe v. Wade being struck down. He did allude to that gun control legislation being signed right before the Europe trip. But the clip that you're about to hear is as close as he got to directly and on camera addressing the shooting in Illinois. Y'all heard what happened today. He's on Facebook. Each day we're reminded there's nothing guaranteed about our democracy. Nothing guaranteed about our way of life. We're all sinners. We have to fight for it, defend it, and earn it. By voting. 
So there were no specifics about what happened. So that all came is, in a paper statement the, the president put out a little bit earlier before he took, state, took the stage for uh, that event where he was addressing a group of military families invited to the White House for a barbecue and a fireworks viewing. In the paper statement, that's where he said he is shocked and saddened. That is where he said that he has been in contact with Illinois' governor and also Highland Park's mayor. And that is where he talked about the investigation a little bit as well. He said, I also surged federal law enforcement to, to assist in the urgent search for the Highland shooter Park, who remains apparently. at large at this time. We don't yet know, uh, because One, of the lack of specifics from the president in those remarks, if he has any plans to visit Highland Park, Illinois. We know the vice president, though, plans to head out there tomorrow, uh, and we expect to get an update from Karine Jean-Pierre at some point uh, during the day, but that's not going to be until tomorrow. Obviously, a lot can happen between now and then. Trace. I just want to say, if we rewind the clock about an hour and five minutes, Peter, you and I talked at the top of last hour, and you are the one that told and us the president would be speaking and the president would likely Highland address Park. what happened in Highland Park. Were you flagged at all that he was just going to make a, a quick brushing mention and move on? Uh, we didn't know exactly what to expect. They delayed his start time, uh, even though there were a couple hundred people out there waiting, and so uh, we... It, which they usually do if there's breaking news and the an remarks are going to be changed a little bit. Uh, but that was all that we got. Uh, and it's unclear exactly why the president didn't want to go into more detail. Could just be because uh, law enforcement officials here in D.C. are saying don't say anything that could jeopardize the investigation. This guy is still out there. Yep. We're trying to get him. He's got I five videos don't on exactly know, but I, I, I would expect that at some point. Uh, the president will go into greater detail. It just doesn't seem like that's going to be tonight. Sure. All right. Peter Ducey, Live Force of the White House. Peter, thank you. With us now, former Washington, D.C. police detective and defense attorney Ted Williams and Charles Marino. He's a former Secret Service supervisory special agent and former Homeland Security Department advisor. Uh, gentlemen, thank you both. Ted, uh, we just spoke a short time ago. They did not have a suspect. And now, all of a sudden, there is a suspect. He is on the run. He's been identified as 22-year-old Robert Bobby Cremo the. Okay, it's a lot of content with his name online. No Whoa, gotta, gotta get rid of that music, dude. You wide awake? You, you wide awake. So that's something he's really into. You wide awake. That's his. That's his thing. Apparently. Race about the gun itself. They started their investigation from having possession of that gun. And they probably got a lot of forensic from that gun. I would have to believe they may have even gotten prints from that gun. But they were able to trace that gun, I have to believe. And I got to tell you, this is what the public needs to see. Excellent law enforcement work. Law enforcement officers working together for the common good of trying to bring this uh, criminal, this 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 bottom feeder, if we should use that terminology, to justice. I know he's only a suspect, but I think they're on the right target. I take my hat off to law enforcement. Uh, Ted, yeah, thank you very much. I mean, it's, it's a good way to have an attorney here. I'm wondering from a legal perspective, um, if you believe that possibly that, that police, you know, might be close to this guy, sir. I, I have to believe that they're very close to this guy. I would have to believe they know a lot more than we know. And I can tell you, 
As uh, Joe yeah. Lewis, the famous boxer, once said, "We you can run, but you can't hide." Yeah. Uh, this gentleman will be caught. Mr. Marino, you, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I do. Look, we've got an identified suspect on the run. They're canvassing now for both the person and the vehicle. If he's still in that vehicle, how this all ends is going to be up to the suspect, whether it's a peaceful resolution or a violent resolution. This is in the suspect's hands now. He's probably aware that, that he's now identified and he's mm -hmm. on the run. But, you know, they obviously got a wealth of information from that weapon that if it didn't uh, lead them directly to the suspect, got them close enough to get the information that they needed on the suspect. That's why you were referring earlier to the life of the weapon. That's where all of this comes into play and tells a story on that weapon. And it led us to the suspect. And the last thing I would say mm -hmm. is that, you know, a lot of talk about how do you speed up what are normally long processes in the investigative mission? There's yeah. nothing that replaces uh, robust manpower like. working together from the local, state and federal agencies. No one does it better. What do you want to know about this guy, Chuck? I mean, that's the whole thing is clearly we are running against the clock. This is a desperate person who was on the run, 22 years old. Uh, he knows that things are very, very bad for him as an officer, as somebody responding, as somebody looking into this. What do you want to know about this guy right now that could possibly save more lives in the hours ahead? Yeah, obviously, it's fair to assume that he may still be armed, and he is very dangerous. We know this. But really, his training, does this guy have any military training? Does he have any training that goes above and beyond the average training. citizen in terms of handling high-powered weaponry? You know, the fact that he decided to take an elevated position to target this parade where we had a known event during a known time frame, right, mm -hmm. at a known location— when did he pre-surveil all of this? Or did he just know enough from being in the area to say, this is the high ground advantage I'm going to take and then start shooting at all these defenseless people? So I yeah. want to know exactly how much of a danger he is. Yeah, and it's interesting, Ted Williams, because you and I talked about this earlier, how sometimes these suspects tend to gravitate toward, you know, home area. Areas they know, areas they think they can possibly use to get away. And sure enough, you have a suspect, 22 years old, who police just confirmed may not be from Highland Park, but he's certainly from the area. Well, that's it. And that's the key. He is perhaps from that area. So he's very probably familiar with the area. And uh, I would have to agree like Joe, with Chuck there that he probably case this area. He knew where he wanted to be. He knew that he would have the high ground there. And uh, he t took uh, out these people in this carnage. Uh, you know, Trace, we saw this in Las Vegas where uh, a killer, a mass shooting occurred where the person had the high ground and shot down into the crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is not something that is new. Uh, but I, I, I'm taking, again, taking my hat off to law enforcement. They don't have him in custody, but they have done a hell of a job. Uh, Ted Williams, uh, Chuck Marino, it's great insight, gentlemen. Uh, it, it sounds like police at least know who the suspect is, could be very close to him. We should know more possibly before the end of this show. We'll get back to you as the news breaks. Thank you, gentlemen, both for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks, Tracy.
Meantime, let's go back and check in with our correspondent, Kevin Cork, uh, who is live for us in the nation's capital. Kevin. Trace, interesting to listen to your conversation with the men who have had granular knowledge of circumstances like this. Uh, I can simply add that from the national perspective, when mass shootings happen like we've seen in Chicagoland today, and I keep calling it Chicagoland, if you're from that part of the country, you certainly understand that means you could be in Evanston or Deerfield all the way down uh, to the western suburbs and even south of the city into Illinois into Indiana. But what happens here in Washington fairly typically is immediately the Washington headquarters of some of these major agencies like the FBI, like the ATF, even like the DEA, will immediately reach out to the resources in region. So the regional field offices in Chicago, for example, then use all the resources they have. What's also interesting about this particular circumstance is, Trace, is I want to say as far back as maybe 4 o'clock Eastern time, we're talking a couple of hours now, we had a sense of what the suspect might look like, the approximate age of the suspect. Uh, and so that really does speak to what you heard uh, Ted talking about there, this incredible uh, collaboration between agencies, both federal, state, and local, it's to like try to rapper. get a sense of who this person might be and then ultimately clear people out. If you ever saw the film... Uh, uh, the Fugitive, for example, you know what it could be like if you have a parade mm -hmm. going on in Chicago and then you're trying to sort of find that needle in the haystack. It's quite dramatic what has happened here. We did hear the president mention uh, Chicago very briefly in passing, I think, mm -hmm. to the surprise of many, Trace. He didn't actually speak about it, although earlier the White House did have a statement. So we continue to watch it all unfold from our perch. One more nugget uh, before I let you go, and then you can, if you have other questions, certainly feel free to uh, jump in. Mm -hmm. The ATF for a while today, Trace, actually uh, restricted airflow in the area above where the accident actually happened, about a five-mile radius, up to 3,000 feet. It was a fairly brief restriction, and then it was suddenly lifted, which, again, kind of makes you it's wonder, did they have eyes? Did they see something? Oh. Did they know something? Uh, because it was somewhat surprising that it was lifted so quickly. Again, we've been watching the collaboration and the cooperation among agencies throughout, and we'll keep watching it. Maybe You're something happens very... here within the next hour. Very perceptive, my friend. Uh, great stuff as always. Kevin Cork, back to you as the news breaks. You, uh, you can see the scene on the right-hand side of your screen there. There is a suspect. He has been named. He is Robert Cremo III. He is 22 years old, and police say he is driving, believed to be driving right now, a 2010 silver Honda Fit. I don't know how they know that. At first, they didn't want to release the information of where he was from. A reporter asked, is he from Highland Park? There's Police officers are not going to say that. The next officer came up and they asked, is he from Highland Park? And he said, he's from the area. So now we know that he is, in fact, from the area. Up next, more from Highland Park, more on the manhunt of Robert Cremo. Okay, well, keep an eye on it. You, you'd expect that they'd be, they'd be smacking him around any time. Bader uh, Ginsburg, a Jewish woman, didn't die last year. So that Amy Coney Barrett, a Catholic woman, could be appointed to the bench, we would still have Roe versus Wade. Now you tell me that this is a Judeo-Christian country. Now you tell me that this is a Judeo-Christian movement. You tell me that it doesn't matter that you have a lot of these Jewish people in government. Tell me that it doesn't matter after a decision like this. Tell me that with a straight face, that it doesn't matter that we had a court that had four Jewish people on it, and we have subtract one Jewish woman and increase one Catholic woman, 
And now Roe versus Wade is overturned and 100 million Americans will live in states with no abortion because of that change. Because we had a Jewish woman and now we have a Catholic woman. Tell me religion doesn't matter. Tell me that this dispute between Judeo and Christian doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. It makes all the difference. This is why it's Christian nationalism. We need a government of Christians. We need a conservative movement, a nationalist movement led by Christians that obey the Bible and obey God and serve Jesus Christ. Tell me why we need people in government that don't serve Jesus Christ. Is that the argument? Well, here, Nick, here's why we need Jewish people in government that don't serve Jesus. Sorry, you're never going to win that argument. You're never going to convince me that we need people in government that don't serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You'll never convince me of that. Insofar as there's one God and he has one Son and there is one way to salvation and one way to the truth, then that's the way that the people running our society and writing the laws need to be and no other way. We want to live in a Christian country with Christian rulers and Christian legislators and Christian judges and Christian law and Christians. And Jewish people can be here, but they can't make our laws. Okay, well, plenty of Christians would have far more negative attitudes towards abortion than, than plenty of, of Christians. So there's only certain Christians who are strongly opposed to abortion. You're taking it seriously. Now, abortion. I wouldn't, and I'm not just saying this for lip service or something, I wouldn't support that because I think Trump is a dumbass. But you understand my point. But like to go through it and like think that you can, there's some like weird, like legal loophole in the constitution that you can like trick people and you'll get a coup, like a bloodless coup that everyone will accept because like, oh, look, it's written right here. Ooh. You know, the and like, Patriot like clause. This do, the, yeah, this is the Patriot clause of our constitution. <laughs> I'm just like, guys, shut up. You know? Well, it would not be, go ahead. It would not necessarily be uh, illegal under the constitution for the states to just have their electors vote for whoever, right? That is true. That is the weird thing about the Electoral Congress. I mean, you send electors and they can, uh, you know, at least ostensibly vote for Donald Duck. So when you're, if you were in charge, would you um, prosecute Sidney Powell and the My Pillow guy and those people in addition to Trump? Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, all of these people are so horrible and toxic that, I mean, I, I am just really glad for them to be cleaned out. You know, it's like, I, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm going to have more influence or a better right wing movement is going to arise or what. I, I'm not saying any of that because I'm I'm very kind of cynical and somewhat. I don't know. I, I have a story, you know, I, I don't know. Sour grapes. Ago. I, I have a certain kind of darker look, outlook on this. I think that I don't I think that we're going to have to, like, put stones in the ground that will be that will be building towards something much later on, in fact. But um, like nothing is possible if the right wing is dominated by Sidney Powell, Mike Lindell, um, who's that guy from Georgia, that lawyer, you know, uh, Roger Stone, Jack Posobiec, like these people are so awful. And the notion that they're, they're like close to me or something like, you know, they're, they're just a few inches away from you. You guys are moving in the right direction. No, they're not. Like, I, I don't know what to say. Like these, it, like purging these types of people would be one of the best things ever to be done. In fact, if I were, if I were a leftist, or if I were simply like a deep state oligarch or something managing the system, I would like pump up the Mike 
Lindell types or Marjorie Taylor Greens because they're so dumb. There's just no possible way. Like, I don't think they can, I don't think they can see 10 feet ahead, not to mention, you know, look out over the horizon. Always populism and through being able to like you know say certain things appeal to morons let's just be honest the american public and to kind of like have a have a kind of gut instinct to jump on certain waves like you can really excel through populism because populism is an, an emotional type of movement on some level and it can kind of turn on you it's a, it's a wave and it moves in different directions it doesn't really have an ideology and, and i don't think can ever really govern or do anything well it's precisely because it's so like What's the right word? Spasmatic, or it's 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 constantly like reacting and getting yourself emotional, getting yourself mad as hell, and so it can't really produce anything from that. I mean, we've all been in situations where we're really mad at, you know, I don't, you're really mad at your mom or something like that, or your girlfriend or your former best friend or something. You're just so angry at them, and you can't think straight. You know, like you can't get anything done. You can't. You certainly can't see. A, you don't have any vision for the future. And it's just, uh, I, I think populism is like that. It's just so profoundly emotional and just so stupid that it, it's never going to accomplish anything. So I think it's like for hygienic reasons alone, I think it's good to well, like put Mike Lindell in jail or Marjorie Taylor Greene gets impeached or just something like that. Um, I just think it would just be a general hygiene for the country. And believe it or not, I am one of these people who, you know, actually cares about the country. I mean, I do live here. I want this to be a sane, you know, good place. And, you know, the, just the level of toxicity of the right is just so off-putting. And it's just so depressing that that's what triumphs on the right. Over and over and over again, that is what triumphs. Lauren Boebert triumphs. Marjorie Taylor Greene triumphs. Vince Flynn triumphs. Or not Vince, Vince Flynn. General guy. J.D. Vance? Michael Flynn. Michael Flynn. J.D. Vance, I'm glad someone whoever brought that up. J.D. Vance is a curious case. Because J.D. Vance, who is the real J.D. Vance? I think the real J.D. Vance is a thoughtful, though somewhat goofy evangelical Christian. And he is smart. I don't think he's brilliant or something. He seems to have gotten connected with like Silicon Valley venture capital through, I don't know what, through connections and so on. I, I, no, one, I, no one's ever demonstrated to me that he's like the actual minds behind the investing or does technical analysis or something. He seems to have just kind of, he's kind of, I don't know, but you know, he's the cat that's just thrown off the house and he somehow like lands on his feet and it's just fine. He, he's very lucky. I think he is thoughtful. I definitely don't think he's stupid. But he, he was sitting at like 10% of the Republican vote before the Trump endorsement. And, you know, if you go back to 2016, I mean, he's really the reverse of, say, me, where in 2016, I was just like, oh, hail Trump. Yeah, this is awesome. Amazing. We're changing the world, blah, blah, blah. I was naive, but I became wiser, hopefully. 
JD Vance, when that opportunity presented to, to him, it went against his instincts. His instincts were like, oh no, we're, we're thoughtful Christian uh, nationalists, you know, who base our movement on love and not antagonism. Well, you know, that's his, that's his gut instinct. And he, but he could never achieve what he achieved, which is winning the Republican nomination without appealing to this popular. And so he now sounds like Trump of 2016. Everything that he hated, he sounds like. And so it is, there, there is a kind of fakeness to her. And, you know, I don't know who he is. Um, but again, it's like, that, those aren't his real instincts, clearly. And, I mean, maybe to his credit, to some extent. Um, but he, he knows he has to appeal to those things. And, you know, Peter Thiel has done this. What are the real instincts of Blake Masters? Blake Masters seems like a techno-libertarian capitalist type. Those seem to be his instincts. People have uncovered, like, blog posts from when he was in his 20s, and he's just, like, open borders, techno-utopia, whatever. But Thiel likes these guys, and he trusts them, and he's, he's basically telling them, you have to appeal to this. You have to say, build a wall, walk on camera with a gun, do the kind of race baity type stuff. Like, he, it's, it's a remarkable thing. Um, but I think it also is kind of revealing about them. You know, what does Peter Thiel want, throwing tens of millions of dollars at these two? What does he hope to get out of this? I don't know. A while ago, there was a, a news article that said that Peter Thiel had met in secret or something with some people who worked for American Renaissance. And you... Um, yeah, I know something about that. Um, Brandon and Mike got their hands up, but uh, after that, Richard, do you have any thoughts on the French parliamentary elections? Although we can get to that later. So the, no. the... Well, I was going to talk with Werner. I, I know a little bit about that. Um, I'm not sure much of anything occurred with that. Like, I don't think... I think Peter Thiel is very clear and... Jeff Giza, like, they were very interested in the alt-right in, like, the summer of 2016. I think purely as an electoral vehicle. But, I mean, meeting with someone, I mean, I heard about these things. You might be surprised who else he met with. But I don't see any evidence that it went anywhere. I think the, he might have been interested in the alt-right much in the way that, like, Bannon was fascinated with the alt-right and wanted the comment section of Breitbart to be you know, really powerful and, and robust and was saying, like, Breitbart's the platform for the alt-right. He meant the comment section. ...who are still hospitalized, but we Peter do also know has, um, that 19 people have been released. back with their families. And they're both... Uh, Elon Musk was born in South Africa, and then Peter Thiel was born in Germany, but he grew up in uh, Namibia, which was, you know, run by... ruled by South Africa, or occupied by South Africa until 1990. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think that, that both of their uh, childhoods in that country... Uh, would have uh, affected their political views because they have a different uh, perspective than an American. I, I mean, I, I just don't, what, what, what have they done to indicate that? You know, like... You know, I must talk all the time about the birth, like, general, like, birth rates being low and... Yeah. Uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, there's, there's some, you seem to be implying that they're, like, crypto-white nationalists, and I don't agree with that. Or if, if I agree with it, I, I think their kind of their general lack of seriousness is such, such a great thing. So this is Awake the Rapper. Yeah, well, so, like Elon Musk's uh, father was actually an anti-apartheid uh, activist, and he like ran for office in South Africa. Yeah, I found that very interesting. Uh, but then, then uh, Elon Musk. Uh, left, uh, not after the situation was healthy, but, uh, I guess recently he said he's a Republican, and I think Elon Musk is, is strange because he's a billionaire, but he has a fan celebrity. And I think that it is not, if you're a billionaire, it's not particularly useful to align yourself with left-wing people because they're going to have an aversion to billionaire anyway, and so instead if you position yourself as a right-winger and get right-wing support, then 
you know, those those people are not going to want to. Okay. My mind is decommissioned. All I ever want to sit and speak with you. Right. This is uh, this is a guy with, with the name of the alleged shooter in Chicago. He uses the stage name Awake the the Rapper. Have a you know a wealth tax, whatever, confiscate your money, and so it's maybe better to be right wing in a way. I don't know. It might be, but you certainly have many counterexamples to that. Pretty obvious ones. Like well, I don't know. Well, I mean George Soros. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I could go on, but I mean, all of these billionaires give huge amount to charities that are just generally left wing. I mean, they're not. I mean, you can certainly find like the Koch brothers or something that are founding funding libertarianism Inc. But that almost seems to be a bit of an exception. I mean, like most of the most of the billionaire money goes to either benign cultural or left wing causes. Well, the reason someone like you know Bill Gates gives so much money to the charities is because back in the 2000s he did not have a particularly good uh, reputation because he was people saw him. I guess like they see you know Jeff Bezos now, but over the last 15 years or whatever, he's been able to cult- cultivate a humanitarian uh, reputation. People don't. Mm-hmm. And then there are also people who, like uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, who, the founders of Google, who never make any public uh, public uh, appearances, and so for that reason, no one ever talks about them. Right. Right. I don't know what they're up to, but um. I... Okay, so he has his own fan page. Arcturus, or more formally known as Project Arcturus, is an archaic manifesto book conceived by Robert Cremo. You can buy it on Amazon. It's like. Uh, Things like three dollars. So here it is, three dollars fifty-one for the paperback on uh, Amazon. So it is twenty-eight pages long. It was published February nineteen, year twenty twenty-one. It is composed entirely of an undeciphered sequence of numbers. There is a coinciding video to Arcturus on YouTube, which is composed of footage from the music videos to On My Mind. Out of This World and Toy Soldiers. The numbers 23, 47, and 115 seem to be of significance in decoding Arcturus. Arcturus remains an unsolved mystery. Okay, this is the, this could be the alleged shooter. I, I don't know. I mean, like, if you, you at some point have to conclude that the billionaires, like, the closest they're going to get to something that I'm interested in is, like, funding J.D. Vance so he can go sit around. I, I wonder if Amazon radicalized him. I mean, maybe he was pocketing tens of thousands of dollars from this self-published 28-page book on Amazon. In the Senate and just do nothing. You know, I mean, like, none of this, from my eyes, really leads anywhere. And they're just, I don't know, I, I guess I'm just, like, missing it or something of, like, what are these people actually doing? Well, okay, let's look at the lyrics to On My Mind. Let's try to figure out what this guy is trying to tell us. You're always on my wind, cutie with a fat ass. I want to make you mine. I'm running out of time. Shorty, we can skip class, smoke, and chill all night. You're always on my mind. I'm running out of time. Looking to the stars, stars falling down onto me. Everything's a lie. Maybe it was all meant to be. Some sort of type of way to make me feel like this is real, but none of it works, so you're always on my mind. And uh, that's on lyrics.com.
So five quick facts about Robert Cremo III. Right, this is an active shooter interest. One reporter labeled it a bloodbath. If you're looking for something, there are videos show a boy claiming gunshots and panic at the scene. So maybe he he put uh, videos out there. He apparently carried a large yellow army-style backpack. He was shot in the leg. Male with a large yellow army-style backpack. They heard over, yeah, they heard over 30 gunshots. And they've abandoned the parade, so we'll keep an eye on any information breaking. On the rooftop of a business uh, from which the shots were fired, according to police. Uh, they found it uh, on that rooftop, and pardon, you heard an explosion in the background. That's just Fourth of July fireworks. Um, multiple rounds that we know were fired from uh, this weapon. You could hear it in the videotape. A great succession of bullets. Uh, all the, uh, the specifics that the authorities have given us thus far, as far as the weapon, is that it's a high-powered uh, uh, rifle. Uh, they've identified this individual. The manhunt is underway. They consider him armed and dangerous. Uh, step number one right now is to get this individual off the streets. And uh, you can hear now through the video the succession uh, with which these bullets came out of the gun. We still don't have many details uh, of this uh, of this particular weapon uh, just the big uh, development now is that we have the identity of the man police believe is the shooter robert or bobby e cremo the third trace and i want to double back if i can with you mike very quickly because you talked about something earlier which i thought was fascinating in the fact that you brought up the license plate number which is you say dm80653 of this silver honda fit uh one of our our previous guests talked about how there are license plate readers everywhere all over these freeways and you said that he had access to a couple of freeways which would maybe give him a jump earlier Right. He's got the, the right uh, at Highland Park there. You have Lake Cook or County Line Highway that can take him west out to the northwest suburbs. Also, uh, you heard one of the perimeters that was set up around Highland Park, Green Bay Road. That runs all the way up into Wisconsin. He's also very near Interstate 94 at that location in Highland Park. So there's a number of places where he could get on a major road. And he, by the time uh, uh, we got the identity, he could have uh, really covered a lot of ground. But as you mentioned, they've got the license plate re uh, if he gets on I-90 uh, headed west, uh, he's going to have to go through some tolls pretty quickly, as well as 94 headed north. And uh, so something will get, get identified if he gets on the interstates. Yeah, Mike, back to you, of course, if the news breaks. Mike Tobin live for us in Chicago. Mike, thank you. Let's bring in Fox News senior political analyst Britt Hume. Britt, uh, so great to see you. Thank you for coming on tonight. I thought some political analysis in this would be great. I'm not sure if you saw the president's brief comments today about Fourth of July, but he very quickly touched on if you can say that, the tragedy in Highland Park, Illinois, by saying you, you know what happened today, you heard what happened today. Are you surprised that he didn't say more about that? Well, a little bit. Apparently, Robert Cremo has long, his family has long ties to Highland Park. There's an obituary for his grandfather, who died at age 88. So a lot of long, long history. In Highland Park, there are records that he graduated from Highland Park High School in 2015. 
and uh, apparently is carrying a large yellow army style backpack. Yeah, probably more than 30 shots. Uh, neighborhood festivities have been canceled. We've got an abandoned parade route. So we've got uh, nine gunshot victims in addition to the to the six dead. Taking some notes on that message, he talked a lot about uniting, and then he took a couple of swings at the Supreme Court. I want to play some sound and then get your response okay. on the other side. I don't care what Joe Biden has to say. To some extent, I mean, he, he also funded the guy in Kansas who lost contact with him. Yeah. I mean, where does any of this shall lead? You know, uh, there were people who, like, I guess the best example of this would be um, uh, William Luther Pierce, and he believed that the only way to win was a violent revolution against the government. Right. And he wrote a book about it. Uh, so I, I mean, obviously, I, I wouldn't condone that, not, but, you know, no, I thought well, I don't believe that either, but um, it's like, I don't know what to say. I mean, um, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what path should be taken. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's very tricky because the kind of funding that flows into just really retarded stuff is just depressing. And like, it just keeps going there. And you can say, oh, he's sour grace, he's, he's offended. But I'm right. Like none of that stuff leads anywhere. And I think it's, funded under the knowledge to some degree that it won't lead anywhere. And so like there, there just, there needs to be someone with some sort of vision for the world, or it's just going to be this nonsense, like reactionaryism over and over again. I think one thing um, that's very interesting is that I think a lot of people have the expectation that um, as the demographics of the United States changes, change that we become more left-wing, but there are many countries in Latin America that are, you know, mostly mestizo that have had right-wing dictators. And so that's, no question. I, yeah, but... I, I, I totally agree. I think all of that stuff, like, um, you know, the, the great replacement as it is articulated by like Tucker Carlson or V-Dare and Coulter or something, I, I do think that that is wrong. And um, the, what I think is going to really surprise people are, is the percentage of Hispanics, you know, first, second, third generation immigrants who are going to start voting for the MAGA party. Uh, Richard, if you don't mind me adding to that, because you know, I am Hispanic. What the, sure. what the Democrats are banking on is trying to, from what I've noticed, they're trying to indoctrinate the Hispanic youth. You see this whole Latinx stuff, trying to get them into the fold. So these right. third-generation Hispanics, they're really uh, hoping that they would you know, become the next Democrat voting bloc. Um, from what I'm seeing in, in Latin America, uh, in Colombia, we just elected a leftist president. Uh, pretty bad economic policy. So the border, I'm just saying the border crisis might get a little worse, going for, worse than it already is. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, yeah. So, you're for that. so you think Colombia, I, I mean, I've, I've heard that this left-wing president was elected in Colombia, but you think he's quite bad, like if people are just going to start fleeing the country or something? In about three or four years, if his, if his policies go through, if Congress opposes him, then we should be, we should be fine. Mm -hmm. um, but there's already talks of Colombians, you know, going to Miami, going to Texas. And so, and so this, this voting bloc is definitely going to vote hardline Republican, right? Because Republicans, especially Ron DeSantis, like he even issued a statement saying, you know, uh, we're not really fond of this federal presidency. And so we're going to monitor the situation and that type of thing. So definitely the, the recent immigrants, uh, they're going to be definitely going to be hardline Republicans. Um, maybe some Hispanics in New York uh, will still vote uh, Democrat. That's just New York. Uh, California, that might change. Uh, but that's why the Democrats are banking so hard on third-generation Hispanics, young Hispanics. Um, and, and we'll see how that goes. I, I am pretty pessimistic in the short to midterm because uh, they're going kind of hard on the whole Latinx thing and, and, and decolonize. And, oh, you know, you're, you're not really Hispanic if you're still uh, honor your Spanish heritage, you know, the conquistadors and stuff like that. Um, you know, this indigenous Hispanic, like you have to be indigenous or black to really be a Hispanic. You can't 
be proud of your Spanish heritage. They're going hard on that. And they're trying, and the things that they're trying to, uh, place us in the same block as black Americans, you know, the uh, brown and black Well, it just Polish. doesn't work. I mean, I, I, I could, I, look, I don't know what the hell is going on with the Latinx or Latinx, as Elizabeth Warren once said, but it, it does, it's such a kind of neologism. I mean, granted, Hispanic is also a neologism, but it's just such a kind of like buzzy kind of 21st century word. Like you almost imagine it written in like lowercase with a capital X or something. Or something like that. You know what I mean? But I, I don't think that works. That's almost to try to get them to be a part of that rainbow flag and like diversity and like we're all weird together and you know so on. Um, I don't think that works. And they also, I don't think Hispanics will ever have the kind of moral hold on white Americans like blacks do. Like I don't think there will be a, an Hispanic Lives Matter movement or Brown exactly. Lives Matter or whatever. It just doesn't because the, the whole George Floyd. When conservatives say like, oh, it's Saint George and blah blah, they are right. I mean, it's like it, he was a martyr figure and he was venerated and quasi worshipped, you know, like deified. I mean, I, I get that, but you have to ask like, okay, do you just want to say that and move on? Or do you want to look into what that is? And I, I think there, you know, there, there is a kind of like deep Christian motive of the black as slave and as liberated and free and as victim and so on that, that really appeals to Americans. I just don't think you can do that with Hispanics due to just historical reality. And so they don't fit in. And I think they fit in largely with whites. And again, like most of the intermarriages are between whites and Hispanics. And so I, you know, and some of these people will identify as Hispanics afterward or identify as white, I, you know, who knows, but it's definitely happening. And I, I just think they have a lot, like, there's just a lot more in common with like a Trump party than, than with the Democrats or, or in the rainbow coalition, which they don't really belong to. But that's what I'm saying. It's uh, for, like this generation and the older ones for sure, but that's why they're kind of clamoring for the younger ones, right? They're kind yeah. of popping them up to be future Democrats. And it's interesting how you said that, yeah, we don't fit in with the whole like pro-black thing. And as I've noticed, we, we take a subservient role in the brown and black coalition like because, you know, the black American victim is, that's still going to be the number one. Like, because at the end of the day, we migrated here, or if you're from the Southwest, like as, as some Hispanics say, you know, we didn't cross the border, we crossed us. Right. Whole uh, but yeah, Just that's not certainly entirely what I have to do. Yeah. I know what's in it. Not only for me, um, but for everyone okay. else. Uh, I'll do Pat and then Where am I so going? Pat, you I don't know. The uh, uh, Latinx question. There is no I, I, I want to say that uh, as someone lives here, the majority uh, Latinx it is more uh, region, I will say that we're probably even harder right than uh, I can the, uh, the atmosphere. I mean, these are people who. Uh, a large part of the reaction into the Republican Party like is really race based. It's really about them being white and it's really threatened by being white. These new Latinx, uh, these new Latinx uh, Republican contingent, uh, they're not like that. They're not going coming to the Republican Party because they're secret because they're secret racists and they're too afraid to say that openly. Uh, they're really coming in because right. they legitimately like the idios. They legitimately, they legitimately like the individualism. The you know uh, let the poor suffer. They legitimately like the rabid like individualist capitalism that the Republican Party offers. And that only went down the throats of the South and the Midwest because tied to it was like mm. a, a corollary that you know well this is actually eugenic because it hurt the blacks far more than you. So you know you're getting one up on the blacks. Latinos who vote this way do not mm. feel that way. And I will say that. that, that their entrance to the Republican Party will actually almost deracialize the Republican Party. The, the, um, what was I going to say? I think the dog whistles will actually go down because of this. And I do think that certain policies, such as misogynistic and uh, anti-social Democrat policies, like uh, privatizing Social Security or uh, now the abortion thing, will become more on the, on the uh, front lines now because of that Latinx uh, pushing it towards it. So um, that's I think it's probably one of the I mean, you can see that on the dissident riot. Yes. You see that. Like, they, don't, they don't talk about race as hardly, or even the Jews, as much as they talk about white women. And, they, and when they do talk about race, it's always like a very reactionary. It's always talking about how, how horrible the blacks are. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and mm -hmm. I would go on to uh, Amran. You know, I want to learn about myself. You know, I want to learn about you know, white people. I, right. I don't see them often. I live in a majority yeah. non white area. It's all about blacks. I would get like angry at this. Yeah. Like, this is me. Like, I don't care about the fucking blacks yeah. committing, you know, 50 or 60% of the crimes in this country. It's just a reactionary, uh, you know, identity. It's like the entire existence mm -hmm. is just about the 13%.
and it was new Latinx yeah. kind of so coming Cameron into it. Was at its best, uh, Cameron was at its best in the 90s and early 2000s, where it was, it was kind of like a repository of, um, you know, like anthropology, basically. And um, I think that was actually interesting. But as it just becomes like a racist version of the GOP, I mean, it's just, I find it unbearable. I don't know. I haven't looked there in years. But whenever I see anything, it'll I mean, they're just posting the same three articles since like 1990. But yeah. I, I will say that I think that like AMRN, the DR, and all of them, they're kind of on a collision course with, with the Republican Party and vice versa. They're driving right into each other. And you're seeing the Republican Party yeah. radicalize. And radicalize in a non-racial way. Right around, you know, uh, Lockean principles, whatever the fuck it is. They're not radicalizing around, you know, Well, white they're radicalizing around gays, I think, too, are remarkable. Um, like, I, I feel like we've kind of gone backward in time, like 10 or 15 years, actually. And, it, and it's, it, all of these things have different causes, but they're all kind of coming together. Like, the leaked Roe v. Wade decision, which I don't know, is this thing coming out tomorrow or this week or who knows? We don't know. But this is recorded June 21. Was something that could have been written in 2005 or 1995 or 1985 or 1975. It's just this old style thing. Um, and then you have like the obsession with groomers and this like obsession with we want to watch, you know, TikTok uh, highlights all day about how crazy these like, you know, you know, blue haired fat leftists are. And it's, a, it's kind of like it is kind of going after not just the transsexuals or not just grooming, quote unquote, but going after homosexuals, which I thought was an issue that had kind of passed. But I, I think it won't. And that's what's animating. them. I mean, when is the last time you heard someone talk about the wall or something? You will hear some about like, oh, the border is crazy in Texas or whatever. You'll hear that. But that's like an afterthought. That's a tertiary thing. Um, what you hear about is um, basically like grooming in schools, which is, you know, extremely overdone by them. And kind of even like the gay stuff, it's very interesting. Then the abortion things come back. So they're kind of going back to their old favorites. Oh, 100%. And you've and, seen that now in that uh, special election in Rio Grande Valley, where some like Mexican mm -hmm. immigrant won as a Republican won mm -hmm. in the first time ever in this area. And they're really doing Fire it. They're really drilling into this and try, try to get the Latinx on their side. And I will say that uh, if, they're, if Latinx like just blind racial mongrelism combines with white American culture death, I mean, this, this continent will become the dark continent. It, 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 they will view, like, Missouri as, like, uh, the, the same way Europeans looked at the Congo in, like, 1810. And uh, <laughs> they can do everything we can to avoid that. It's not that bad. I mean, I see what you're oh, saying. Oh, no, no, it will get that bad. I 100% believe it. What I noticed bad. about her, this Flores woman, I, I, I've looked into her just, just superficially. And I, I found it remarkable that, first off, she is, like, genuinely attractive. You know, she's, like, a she looks like a nice girl. And, but she says, like, I can't find her saying anything of substance. And I'm not just saying that to sound like a snob or something. Like, she just does not say anything. I have no idea what she thinks about anything. And I saw a couple of these things that were posted on Twitter, these, like, Instagram photos, where it's just her, like, cam girling out, like, walking down the road, like, oh, I'm going to vote, guys. Woohoo. Like, like I, I don't think you could hold a conversation with this woman. And I'm, I'm not trying to be, like, overly snobby or, or mean or whatever. She, she seems like she's a perfectly nice person. But it's just this, like, total vacu vacuity. That's all. Well, like, when you look at uh, who is she? When you look at the uh, history of Black American Asians, you rarely see them ever really take an external push. It's always it's just like a, an un unremitting internal cycle of just like regimes popping up and collapsing. But regimes will never actually entrench themselves yeah. and expand outwards. And you're seeing this now in our GOP, where it's really reactionary in that they'll tell you everything lives in your moral. You know, everything will just come, you know, come up story when they get in power or something like that. And they have no real plan for the future. I mean, you look back at yeah. the Democrats and like, the 1960s, there was a significant plan for the future. Same thing with Republicans. There was actual platform. There's no oh, platform yeah. no more. Like, you know, it was just becoming, you know... There's no, there's literally no platform. I mean, well, in, in the, the GOP of 2020 had no platform. Th um, this sounds almost like a joke said by a liberal or something. It's, it's, it's absolutely true. They, the GOP supported the American first agenda of Donald Trump.
Richard, uh, with Myra, yeah. what, what's she's really just a, like another basic uh, conservative, you know, uh, God, guns, the border, especially the border thing, uh, jobs. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of paint by numbers thing. Because as you yeah. said, like, what is the right wing in, in America? Like, what is the platform? Like, we know what the left wants for sure. Like, they're they're pretty. Uh, yeah. They, they know what they want, but for, like people on the right, especially with these Hispanic, like these Hispanic conservatives, they just want to be left alone. You know, all this trans stuff, keep it away. My guns, my low taxes. I mean, because that's what a lot of Hispanics came here to the U.S. for. Like, like we escaped our uh, our horrible economies just so you know, so you don't tax the hell out of us and. And horrible currencies and stuff like that. So like, that's kind of our thing, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. America is the only country in the Western world right now where you know cancer patients go bankrupt. There's people starving in the streets. You know, you see in San Francisco and New York City, and you know the Latinx come here and they support this horrible, horrible social system that justifies this. I mean, white Americans now are the third most incarcerated uh, ethnicity in the world, just behind Hispanic Americans and Black Americans. And the white rate of incarceration, wow. actually in jails, is now actually over fifty percent. First time since the 1950s, white people, white non-Hispanics. Wow! And YouTube has terminated this guy's account. So you can no longer access his videos on YouTube from his account. In a majority in jails. In prison, it's allowed to be but And you're seeing an absolute social collapse in white America. And it's undoubtedly caused by, uh, you know, these horrible social policies. And they're only being, they're only being thoroughly propelled and brought forward in fruition because of the latest contingent. I mean, you, you see in New York City or in Los Angeles or in Houston, you see what was once, you know, thriving white working class neighborhoods become entirely Hispanic. And they will major the blacks for this, but it's undoubtedly true. I mean, there's a... Uh, there's one um, neighborhood in Chicago that was 96% white in 2000, and today it's probably like 14% white and like 75% Hispanic. And I see this in, in real life. It, it, they like the race of the blacks are doing this, but there's actually like neighborhoods in Chicago and New York that have been like 50-50 black-white for decades. But whenever you reduce this Hispanic element, it can rapidly consolidate and almost destroys any kind of like social or political life that... That's just because of the amount of immigration, because the Hispanic population has been increasing the black population. Hold on, hold on, I'd say it's more like replacing it, not, not destroying it. But I understand that you have a... Uh, Uneasy feelings about that. I mean, I wouldn't like to be replaced in my own country. Let's be honest. So, I, I, no. I, I mean, I, I I live in what was once a uh, an Irish neighborhood in a, in a North Jersey. Uh, no, absolutely, they're coming in here and they're making like hell for the people who originally lived here. I mean, there was a um, an apartment building that was bought off by this uh, Venezuelan businessman, and it was once all these Polish Americans living there. Uh, you know, he evicted them off, threw them all out, and, and filled them up with Hispanics. They're absolutely doing that. It's not like a like just just something that's American contingent that is really forward. I'm, I'm actually not. I don't think that limiting immigration right now is really the right way to go. I do think that we make political alliances with blacks to try to really limit what thinks America. I mean, let's just put it this way. Blacks at least don't want to have cancer patients, you know, uh, going bankrupt. They don't want to have people starve in the streets. Latinx are, are rushing towards that. They are compelling it right, in the, right you know, in the, uh, in the front. You know, I don't want to live in a misogynistic, you know, capitalist hellhole. I don't. I, I want to live in a social democracy. Yeah. And doing that with blacks, fine. Uh, but you smash not cooperating with you really make a united racial front against them. Well, well Pat, like if a Venezuelan hires other Venezuelans, you know, <laughs> you know, that's called nepotism. And maybe you guys might want to get into that. You know, it's kind of weird how white people are like the one group that just like they it's not just because they're being forced by the media. But it's like you guys really feel uncomfortable with racial nepotism. I've noticed that everyone else like we, we, all of us do it. Like, you know, what I'm saying like Hispanics, Asians, Jews, but like you guys are the one group where even internally you guys feel uneasy about supporting your own. You guys might yeah. want to have to work on that. I, I mean, I would agree. Uh, but I think yeah, it's part of like. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, I guess you got it. Yeah. One thing that okay, I saw this um, this uh, clip of Steve Bannon, and he was it was he was outside of his trial where he is, I guess, being held in criminal contempt of Congress, um, for for refusing to participate with the January sixth coalition or committee and and being deposed, et cetera. But um, he was just talking about the election. He's like, "We're gonna win. We're gonna win a hundred seats. That would have been that would be a, a tremendous victory." And he said, you know, Hispanics are going to go 70-30 for GOP. That seems aspirational, but perhaps possible, to be honest. Uh, and then he said 50% uh, of black men are going to vote for Trump. So I think if there is some kind of political coalition 
it is, I mean, there's always been the like white liberal African-American coalition, but I think there might be a coalition brewing between like black men, Hispanic men and rural whites to maintain Trump's America. Half of black uh, men are going to vote for Trump in 2024. Well, I more or less agree, but it is interesting. I mean, you know, more blacks voted for Trump in 2016 than they voted for Mitt Romney. More blacks but, voted for Trump in 2020 than they voted for Trump in 2016. So it's actually Romney, a significant trend. Mitt, Mitt Romney was historically unpopular among black people for some reason. I think that was just because uh, Obama was on the ticket and there was high turnout uh, for him. So well, I think if Mitt Romney were running against someone else. How do you explain that more people, more blacks voted for Trump in 2020 than they did in 2016? Well, obviously it means something, but it's, it's not, it's still, it's probably like 10% or something, you know, it's, it's very, it is small, but it's a significant uptick. I think Bannon was doing his, his usual boasting and bullshit, but is he actually like on to something? Richard, have you seen the account, uh, this N word Biden? Um, it, it's <laughs> yeah. basically a bunch of black people saying, man, this new Biden, like he just messed up the economy. Why are we letting black people vote? Like y'all should just let white people handle this whole thing. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if that means anything politically, but I just kind of find it funny that, you know, a lot of black Americans were kind of tricked into voting for Joe Biden because, oh, you know, he was Obama's VP and he's going to like, yeah. he's going to bring the stimulus checks, the reparations, and then, well, you already know how the gas prices are. So I kind of, yeah, I and Biden would be nowhere if it were not for South Carolina and this huge black voting bloc in the Democratic primary, you know? Huh. So it is interesting. Like, he did that in the primary. The, the, the South Carolina went hugely for Biden and they just totally rejected these, like, prissy white liberals like Buttigieg and Warren and whatever. But in the general, like, how it's shaken out is that the Democratic Party is becoming whiter, becoming more upper class. I feel like, uh, hold on, can you, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Also, Pat, um, I feel like uh, less black people vote Democrat because black people are like, very like socially conservative. Like uh, 50% like, oppose gay marriage, I think. And with all like, the stuff coming out, I feel like less are going to vote like, Democrat. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the thing about polarization as well is that it's, it's a lot about making your opponent seem insane. And so, you know, I mean, and this, there's a long time, you know, studies on this of negative campaigning is more effective than positive campaigning. So it's like Richard Nixon accusing who's that woman he beat for Congress? I can't remember her name, but she was actually a upper-class Episcopalian. And he, he labeled her red something. I can't remember. He, he, would print, um, he would print campaign material on pink paper, which was both a kind of like, she's a woman, but also she's like a commie. <laughs> anyway, just using it as an example, it's nothing new, but, but like that whole like Virginia revolution was totally about, you know, oh my God, you know, they're, they're teaching, they're forcing them to be trannies in preschool. And yeah, like that. I, I, and that, that negative partisanship is the most powerful force. Yeah, what do you think about them, like, teaching about stuff like that in school? Do you think it's, like, trying to groom them or rape them and stuff like that? Well, I think that's just a, a vast overstatement. I mean, um, look, you can definitely, I mean, you can find a lot of, like, people who are, say, mentally ill and who are in the education field and are, you know, crazy. Like, they're not the people you want around your children. But, I mean, I say this as a father of a child in public school. I mean... I don't know. I've never been concerned about any kind of lunacy going on. Uh, what, what would you do? What would you do? Basically, okay, uh, what would they? What would you do? Basically, if they taught your kids about, like, example, like families with like two moms or two dads and stuff like that, like primary well, school. Well, I mean, again, when, when do you want them to teach them about this? I mean, me personally, we... like, I feel young is fine, just because a lot of parents like teach their kids that's bad. I mean, as a kid, I was taught that was bad, so I feel yeah. like it's. I mean, it's better to start early. You know what I mean? Because kids do well, know what homosexuality is for the most part. They know what gay people are. They they kind of figure it out on their own. It, it kind of. It gets in their head a little bit. I think it is good to like talk to them just in a down to earth manner. Yeah, I, mean, I teach it. Oh. oh, I agree. Like, if the horror show of Libs of TikTok were true, I would probably pull my children out of public school. Like, if it was just this nonstop insanity fest, but th that's just so overstated. It's just ridiculous. Most yeah, all have, public school teachers are, they're probably mostly liberal, but they're just, they're normal people. I mean, they're not, they're not just a bunch of crazed antifas. <laughs> like, I just don't, this is just so crazy that the right 
has worked themselves up into a lather about this. And I, I think it gets to the fact that they have nothing. There's like, yeah, there's, no, you know. yeah, there's no agenda. There's no identity. There's just like, you're going to rape toddlers or something. I mean, it's just insane. And it, it does have a QAnon flavor to it. A kind of yeah, echo exactly. of QAnon of, of satanic blood sucking pedophiles. Like satanic panic, that type of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember that in the 90s as well. Or was it the late 80s? I remember when I was young, there was yeah, like a huge amount of news stories on Satanism. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's, it's like well under 1% of the population, but if you judge them by like media exposure, you think that it's, it's like larger than well, like, Catholic thing, Catholicism no, yeah. or something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I, just, I, just think they're, I just think the right is brain dead and they go for this type of stuff and it's just overstated and it kind of ultimately makes them look bad. Um, but it's probably a, a winning thing. But anyway, anyone else want to jump in? Uh, yes. Sure. Uh, so, first, I want to say uh, Marie Antoinette did nothing wrong. <laughs> so he's got all these photos wearing an FBI hat. I- I'm concerned that the FBI has has radicalized this guy. And there's also, yeah, a photo of him in a peppy shirt. But uh, I- I'm concerned that the FBI just did a number on this guy. Um, I wish I wish that peasants would understand that the myths told to them about revolutions aren't true. They don't overthrow governments. They'll just use local tools to do so. Um, I'm sure the French rich people were overthrowing other groups of rich people during the revolution. Yeah, I'm oh, also quoting the book of Luke. Part of the top. Mm-hmm. So the, the gospel of Luke is, is just radicalized way too many people. So the, the alleged shooter may have posted on Twitter, May 22nd, 2021, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. See the radicalizing effect of the Gospels? It's just taking this otherwise perfectly noble guy. Like, he, he's someone who seems like a, a good boy getting his life together. Like, he's, he's an aspiring rapper. And then he went and read the doggone Gospels, and it just radicalized him. And so he's, he's posting this hate literature on social media quoting Luke chapter 17, verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I mean, you can see the radicalizing effect there of the gospel of Luke. Sad. It was not a peasant peasant revolt. You do see these occasionally. There are times when the peasants revolt. During the Protestant Reformation as well, you see these things, but they're kind of spasmodic uh, outburst of emotions. Oh yeah, you don't have any lasting power. power. Even the Civil War, I wish the gun that flung their precious Confederate flag would remember that it was a state uh, war, and was it thirteen states teaming up against the original thirteen? So it was was billionaires. And uh, chat says, why doesn't anyone ever talk about the music and websites that radicalize the thousands of murders in Chicago every year? The rap music. And and then that FBI hat, man. Like, the guy looks totally harmless. But somehow he got radical, radicalized. I, I blame some combination of the Gospel of Luke and messages from the FBI. And, and maybe that Peppy the Frog uh, t-shirt. Literal billionaires leading armies in the Civil War. With well-regulated militias attacking yeah. Fort Sumter. Yeah. And, by the way, those, those are, like... A lot of Confederates in the dissident right, I wish they would probably. It's safe to say there's a 50 50 chance that if the Confederacy won, like the South would be Haiti. Yeah. Oh, easily. 
we look, we don't understand the demographics of the United States and the South. One thing that should make you at least think twice about like Madison Grant and people like that is that all of those, what they were attacking to a very large, I mean, Madison Grant was a eugenicist. He was also a natural conservationist, et cetera. But what he was attacking in those waves of immigration were basically Eastern Europeans and um, uh, Southern Europeans and Slavs, Italians, et cetera. Um, and there was a lot of German uh, immigration in the 19th century as well. And he was, you know, maintaining the Nordic order. The 24 Act didn't have anything to say about South America. It was basically geared towards um, Eastern Europe and Southern Europe. And the percentage, I, I don't know, I mean, I can go look at these, these percentages, but like the percentage, the percentage of Africans in the 19th century was diluted tremendously due to Eastern and Southern European immigration across the 19th century. That great wave that like Madison Grant prevented. I think in 1800, black people were like 20% of the population or something. Yeah, really? that was their, their low, low point was in 1930 when it was 10%. And it has subsequently it increased about 14%. Things. So like, what was the percentage in like Georgia or South Carolina? It's probably very high. At the end of the Civil War, the only majority black states were Mississippi, South Carolina, and I think Louisiana or something. Okay, but still, that's a huge percentage of the population. I mean, because there, there were effective, I mean, more or less no African-Americans in uh, like a lot of the Midwest and the, and the burgeoning West. I mean, there's some, of course, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it, that, that huge wave of immigration, the Irish and the Italians and the Slavs, et cetera, like did change the American nation. And it's like a lot of these people who, including myself, who, you know, say, oh, Madison Grant was such a great guy or whatever. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think we should kind of take a look at that. Um, uh, yeah, Southern states are obviously very resentful and they're the same people that, that fought the Civil War, but they vote Republican now. But yeah, I feel like, have you noticed, maybe I'm imagining it, but I feel like the wealth and the Democratic Party are the ones with the blue eyes and it's all the resentful whites on the right who are kind of like more mixed. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly more successful whites that are moving towards the democratic party. And there are things like conservatives are like, they're, they're more, they're more attractive conservatives. But I think if you adjusted a lot of that for, I don't know, I don't, it, it's interesting because if you go to CPAC, for instance, I've not been to CPAC in many years, but I can remember going to CPAC in like 2009 and you had a lot of girls that would dress like Jackie Kennedy and who were like heavily made up, but were clearly like attractive and from good families and so on. Um, well, and they were conservative. But I think you're probably like, I, I don't know. I mean, you would just have to look at this. The fact is the Democratic Party is becoming whiter and it's becoming wealthier. So I think that will more or less track with more attractive, better bred people. Well, I feel like uh, yeah. conservative will dye their hair, like a conservative woman will dye their hair blonde, but then if the real blonde just vote Democrat, I feel yeah, like, I, like, I, like I, the Republican <laughs> Party has like a lack of like good looking women. There's only like a few, you know what I mean? The rest are just kind of like, you know what I mean? But it is true that like the, you know, like there, there is a, a kind of like retard element that is going to be 100% Republican now. I, I just think things are dramatically changing. I mean, what is the statistic? It's like 40% of rural and working class whites voted for Bill Clinton in 1996. And then by the, by the time of like 2016, that had fully flipped. So it really has changed. Like it is fundamentally altered. Also, the conservative Republican Party are also like a, a breeding program. They kind of attract themselves to each other and then they just push policies to benefit themselves so that's why i'm against political parties uh sharing powers because they turn into breeding programs for different groups of people and then one group is always resentful the we, democracy breeds the worst people if you want to know who wants to run in a democracy it's always a popularity contest full of narcissists yeah. who appeal to rouse up a rabid mob to rile them up and just get the most votes it's a disgusting vulgar anti-human uh, way of taking over the government uh, i actually just think yeah I think this democracy is probably one of the best governments ever made. It, it kind of reminds me, like, should we have a democracy or not? It's kind of like when people argue, should we teach Latin in schools or not? It depends. Do you want to have a nice, educated, intelligent population who is capable of ruling themselves? Or do you want to just be, you know, a bunch of uh, 
Okay, let's see what's on Twitter right now about this guy. <clears throat> Chase tweets, MAGA is out full force saying the shooter's Antifa is YouTube. Has him at Trump rallies. His father ran for mayor of Highland Park as a Trump Republican. And last, he follows military badassery and Donald Trump Jr. Don't let them gaslight you on this. Here he is covered in the American flag, wearing a Trump flag. His YouTube video has a vi YouTube channel has a video of Trump's motorcade. His dad ran as a Republican in the 2019 Highland Park mayoral race. So he basically laid it all out in a video. So. Posted this uh, 10 months ago on his YouTube channel. Okay, let's have a look at this. Yep, his YouTube has him at Trump rallies. It's a video of him in a crowd cheering on the presidential motorcade. He goes by Awake the Rapper. He looks like an armed elf in a song called I Am the Storm. So, no, definitely not an incel. Not at all. Looks like a 4chan head. Austro-Hungarian peasants obeying the, 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 the uh, you know, autocracy. I, I think well, democracy can be a good in principle, but, like, we're well past that at this point. I agree that I we mean, need a temporary, cool. I would probably need a temporary autocracy, but yeah. democracy is an ideal that we should hold up to. I, I believe right. democracy. But also keep in mind that the, and I don't want to sound like a conservative, you know, founding fathers fetishist or something, but their vision was different. I mean, they were not populist and so on. I mean, senators were elected by the state legislatures, so they were kind of unknown people so people on twitter noting his youtube channel was basically announcing this for eight months pretty twisted guy posting uh some pretty dark stuff on youtube he's been telegraphing it for approximately a year He had, uh, what, four videos on YouTube? Well, they did not have to appeal to the public. As a oh, senator. no. I mean, 100%. And even the Electoral College is like a total, like, old, you know, old boys club type situation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> what I mean by that is that democracy isn't ruled by the masses. It's ruled by an educated class. I mean, even yeah. today, it's not, you know, a bunch of rural retards running the show. Uh, we have the Democratic Party doing that. 
they, they represent they represent their communities, and that's really the best part about democracy is that you know it's not it's not that the people are ruling themselves, and it's not that there's a mass mob of people. It's that they have have a um, almost like an outlet to like uh, to to almost uh, give their grievances to, and I think that's really important important in um, maintaining any kind of government. Otherwise, especially now in the age of uh, mass communication, mass uh, you know mass public. Uh, I, so it seems like a nihilist more than a Trump supporter. But uh, he's got a crudely animated music video where he depicts himself doing a mass shooting and ends up getting killed by the cops. So we're going to probably find out that he decided to do a mass shooting, what, after a woman dumped him or a woman he liked wouldn't go out with him. Two of his videos start out singing all happy and fluffy about a girl, but then there's an abrupt change in tone that gets dark and threatening. One is live action, one is crudely drawn animation. In both, he depicts himself in body armor. The live action music video set in a classroom, the animated music video where he depicts himself in a shootout with cops, appears to be outside in a street. I've watched all his videos and his music on Spotify. I'd say he's been planning this for about a year. Okay, that's it for me right now. Talk to you later.